Welcome to your Denver City Council. Please stand by. Full coverage of your Denver City Council begins now. Uh, today's meeting is being interpreted into Spanish. Uh, Sam or Alejandro, would you please introduce yourself and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices? Of course. Thank you very much for having us back once again. Uh, pleasure as always. And thank you for your patience as I provide okay. those instructions in Spanish. Hola a todos, mi nombre es Alejandro Arrieta, gracias por tenerme aquí con ustedes. Seré uno de dos intérpretes el día de hoy, trabajando con mi colega Sam. Si usted prefiere escuchar y participar en español, aquí en Zoom, después de las instrucciones, verá un icono cerrado que aparecerá en la parte de abajo a mano derecha en su pantalla. Cuando lo vea aparecer, asegúrese de seleccionarlo para escoger el español y poner el audio original en silencio si es necesario. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alejandro. Welcome to the Denver City Council meeting of Monday, December 11th. The council members, please rise as you're able and join Councilwoman Alvidrez in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you very much. And uh, council members, please join Councilwoman Alvidrez as she leads us in the Denver City Council land acknowledgement. The Denver City Council honors and acknowledges that the land on which we reside is the traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho people. We also recognize the 48 contemporary tribal nations that are historically tied to the lands that make up the state of Colorado. We honor elders past, present, and future, and those who have stewarded this land throughout generations. We also recognize that government, academic, and cultural institutions were founded upon and continue to enact exclusions and erasures of indigenous people. May this acknowledgement demonstrate a commitment to working to dismantle ongoing legacies of oppression and inequities and recognize the current and future contributions of the indigenous communities in Denver. Thank you very much. Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Sawyer. Here. Alvitres. Here. Flynn. Here. Gilmore. Here. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Hines. Here. Cashman. Here. Lewis. Present. Parody. Here. Romero Campbell. Sandoval. Here. Watson? Here. Madam President? Here. 11 members present. There are 11 members present. Council has a quorum. Approval of the minutes. Are there any corrections to the minutes of December 4th? Seeing none, the minutes stand approved. Council announcements. Are there any announcements today? Give folks a second. Councilman Cashman. Yeah, thank you, uh, Madam President. It is the fifth night of Hanukkah, 2023. I wanna 
wish everybody who celebrates a healthy and hopeful Hanukkah this year, uh, hoping that the lights of the season will somehow illuminate a pathway to peace worldwide so that somehow next year we can truly have a happy Hanukkah season. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you for that, Councilman Cashman. Councilwoman Alvidres. Thank you, Council President, and thank you for those words, Councilman Cashman. That was very beautiful. Um, I would just like to share that this Thursday, December 14th at 5 p.m., the mayor will be having a virtual meeting with the neighbors of Overland about the Santa Fe micro community. So make sure to message me or find uh, the link on our social media for that uh, virtual meeting on Thursday. Thank you so much. Thank you, Council President. Thank you, Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, Council President. I wanted to uh, first congratulate uh, Councilwoman Lewis on um, a very, very successful 40th annual Hiawatha Davis luncheon. It was great to be back in District 11 for that luncheon and then um, also the additional co-sponsors of the Councilwoman at large um, and then Councilman Watson. Uh, it's always a really popular event. And then on Saturday, um, <clears throat> wanna thank the District 11 residents for really showing up. We had over a thousand District 11 residents who joined us for the ninth annual Sparkle and Joy District 11 holiday event at the Evie Garrett Dennis campus. And just wanna thank our residents for coming out and um, enjoying a celebration for all the hard work that they put in every year attending the multiple community meetings along with the council office and different agencies to stay involved in the community. And so it was a wonderful time. Thank you, Council President. Thank you, Councilman Watson. Thank you, Council President. Um, would like to uh, share, we have a community uh, information meeting at District 9 at the Johnson Rec Center at uh, 48th and Race on the 21st, next Thursday. This will be a part of a discussion to support the administration's Housing 1000. Um, we're looking forward to having neighbors attend and provide their feedback and we're looking forward for engaging with uh, community. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Sawyer. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, believe it or not, even though it's still 2023 um, in the District 5 office, we're looking forward to 2024 um, and setting up our plans for next year for community engagement. Uh, we're gonna be hosting our first ever, ever District 5 projects night. Um, it's gonna be on January 30th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. at George Washington High School. And it's an opportunity for community to come together um, and just informally chat with a number of different city agencies and community partners about some of the projects that are going on in District 5 in 2024. We always sort of get the question from residents, what is happening? Why is this road closed or what's happening here? Um, so it's an opportunity to come and engage with some city staff uh, and community partners, like I said, um, to just ask questions and give feedback on some of the different projects that will be happening in District 5 in 2024. So community members, please come on out and join us. Thanks so much, Madam President. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Romero Campbell, welcome to the council meeting. Let me do that first. And then you're up for announcements. Thank you, Council President. Um, I just had two. I just wanted to thank everyone who was able to come out this last weekend to the Donuts with the Grinch. It was very successful at Eisenhower Park. <laughs> um, and uh, we are, I just wanted to also invite uh, 
uh, District 4 community to come to the community information um, meeting uh, that the mayor will be holding on uh, this Saturday, uh, December 16th at 10 a.m. Um, in at Hamilton uh, Middle School. This will be specifically to discuss the uh, family shelter in uh, Southeast Denver. So again, just wanted to invite folks to come out. Uh, District 4, 10 a.m. on Saturday at Hamilton. Thank you, Council President. Thank you so much, Councilwoman Lewis. Okay, I just wanted <clears throat> to thank um, Councilwoman Stacy Gilmore, um, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez, Councilman um, Watson and Councilwoman Parity um, for your support um, with the Hiawatha um, Junior um, Davis um, Senior Luncheon. We had a blast. Uh, I had no idea what to anticipate. Uh, and so I'm glad it went well. Um, and thank you to all of the community who showed up. We had over 600 um, attendees. Um, and I also wanted to thank um, Chief Thomas, um, of Chief Bolton um, and Sheriff Diggins for bringing your staff out to support our seniors. They were very, very, very grateful um, for your time and your energy. And so until next year. <laughs> well Thanks. done. Well done to all of you. So it's a team Thanks. effort. Um, and I just wanted to, um, one, congratulate my Westwood community, Buku West and the Echo and Westwood team who put on Las Posadas um, and the first Tianguis, which is an open air market um, that they had out there. Um, and they coupled it with a tamale and atole festival, which was just spectacular. So um, special thanks to them. And then uh, this Saturday um, is the back in person Sam Sandoz Christmas basket uh, assembly event this Saturday. And so um, this had been on hiatus obviously due to COVID. And so really excited that they'll be back at North High School putting these baskets together to then distribute out to families throughout the city. Um, so congratulations to them and thank you to all the volunteers who make sure that that um, comes off uh, successfully. So um, with that, uh, there are no presentations. Uh, no communications, no proclamations this afternoon. Madam Secretary, please read the bills for introduction. From the Finance and Governance Committee, 23-1843, a bill for an ordinance making a rescission from City Council General Fund appropriations, making an appropriation in the general fund to make a cash transfer, and making appropriations in the Capital Improvement and Capital Maintenance Fund and the City Council Special Revenue. From the Land Use, Transportation, and Infrastructure Committee, 23-1714, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 1645 North Grape Street in South Park Hill. 23-1836, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 434 South High Street in Washington Park. From the Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee, 23-1844, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed intergovernmental agreement between the City and County of Denver and Denver Health and Hospital Authority to provide medical services to Denver Human Services Child Welfare Division citywide. 23-1866, a bill for an ordinance amending Article seven chapter 14 of the revised municipal code to require the office of the municipal public defender to represent res res responsible minors in Denver County Court. Thank you very much. Um, council members, this will be your last opportunity to call on an item. Councilwoman Alvarez, will you make the motions for us today? Yes, Council President Torres. Thank you, I'll do a recap under resolutions. Councilwoman Lewis has called out resolution 1842 for questions and comments. 
um, resolutions uh, 1839, 1864, and 1830, each for a separate vote. Under bills for introduction, Councilwoman Sandoval has called out bill 1843 for questions and comments. Under bills for final consideration, no items have been called out. Pending, no items have been called out. Uh, Madam Secretary, we put the first item on our screens. This is 1842, approving an agreement with Bayod Enterprises. Councilwoman Lewis, uh, please go ahead with your questions. Oh, thank you. Um, I have a few questions here. Um, <clears throat> I'm curious as to, be because this is such an increase, hi Midori, how are you? <laughs> um, because this is such an increase to the original contract, why we didn't submit a, this for a new contract because it's, it's like double the original contract. Uh, good afternoon, council. My name is Midori Higa, she, her pronouns. I'm the director of homelessness resolution programs with the Department of Housing Stability. Uh, in order to create a new contract, we have to procure for a contract. And so we did not procure for emergency severe weather options or uh, shelter in this past year. Okay, is this with the additional $1 million for this contract, is it an up to amount? So uh, this particular contract for Bayad Enterprises is a contract for shelter staffing in the event that we have severe weather shelter. So for example, over the past weekend, we stood up shelter for Friday and Saturday night related <clears throat> to the weather. And so this contract just pays for the staffing. So it's based on however many activations we have. And we anticipate more activations this year because our threshold is higher, lower, but higher right? <laughs> um, than we had last year. Okay. Uh, it's, so it, is it an up to, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to understand how the contract actually works as it says in the event of, so then Bayad would be paid the million dollars or it would be when we would actually open, when they would actually staff these, then they would be paid for those? Uh, um, shelters are activated, they would invoice for the, that particular activation, and then we would pay them or reimburse them based on that particular activation. Okay, so not necessarily that we'd spend the entire one million, it just is kind of contingent on our weather. Thanks, got it. Okay. That's it. Okay, thank you. Great, thank you. Thank you, Midori. Um, seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. And this is a resolution approving um, a grant agreement between the uh, City of Denver and the Byrne Memorial Justice Assistance Grant. Councilwoman Ovidas, will you please put uh, Resolution 1839 on the floor for adoption? Yes, um, I move that Council Resolution 23-1839 be adopted. Thank you, and that's been moved and seconded. Comments by members of Council? We'll start with Councilwoman Lewis. Yeah, I'm actually just gonna make a few comments here, um, just based on some of the data that, <clears throat> that we received. Um, regarding this contract. Just one second, let me get back to my notes. I'm sorry. All right. Um, so my understanding with, with these dollars <coughs> is that there's um, that 87% of uh, the shot spotter alerts from 2023 had no correlating 911 calls. Is that correct? Is that a question for maybe Chief Thomas? Yes, ma'am, that's, that's uh, historically accurate. Chief, will you introduce yourself? I'm please? sorry. Uh, Chief Ron Thomas, Denver Police Department. Yes, and my understanding is 47% of all shootings happen in spots, shot slaughter areas. Yes, yeah, probably accurate as well. Yeah, uh, so my, con my concern here, and it's not a concern with you, my concern here, and you can tell me how you feel about this, is that <clears throat> you would have your officers responding to nothing essentially 
Um, is that fair? Is that a fair assessment, 87% of the time? I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. So, so what, what, what I think the data is suggesting is that were it not for the fact that ShotSpotter existed in these locations where it exists, we wouldn't have even known that the shot occurred. Um, and then, <clears throat> so, so, and I think that there are instances that we could point to where um, it's a good thing that we were able to respond and respond quickly and respond to an accurate location. Sure. That way we were able to render aid, identify suspects, you know, collect evidence and those kinds of things. And so I think it's, I think it's about the, the specificity that, that ShotSpotter provides um, in addition to the fact that unfortunately these are instances that we would otherwise not know about. Yeah, so essentially we'd be paying dollars just to know when we might hear a shot, but it's not actually providing us with the opportunity to be preventative or that, it, that when your officers are responding that they're not responding to like making an arrest or a victim being we are uh, often responding and um, and not necessarily collecting evidence, not necessarily uh, you know uh, arresting a suspect or treating a victim. That that is that is correct. Um, I also think that um, that if you look at the um, where there are corresponding um, 911 calls or where there is 911 calls and there is no shot spotter. Um, we're also responding uh, significantly uh, quicker uh, to those locations as well. So I think it actually enhances our, our response because, because we are quite certain that it's gunfire, which is why we're, what we're responding versus, you know, we, we receive um, a call from a, from a caller who says they believe that they heard gunshots. It's not very specific, so we're not able to respond to a specific location. And often because of that lack of specificity and because of the way that dispatch um, prioritizes those calls, those calls end up uh, having a much slower response time. Yeah, but, but it still re requires that your officers respond. And so like what I'm hearing in community often is that the response times of DPD is concerning for a lot of the residents within the city. And so it sounds like this is actually moving resources away from being able to respond to some of the residents within the city and county of Denver versus responding to the, the, this technology. Uh, I mean, I think um, that's not my, the, the way that I would assess that. I mean, I think that, I think that certainly, you know, there, you know, there is a drain on resources um, and, but I, but I don't, I don't think that the drain on resources is specific to officers responding to 911 or to shot spotter calls when, um, when there's no corresponding 911 call. Yeah, because it says 87% of shot spotter alerts from 2023 had no correlating 911 call. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. Councilman Flynn. Thank you very much. Uh, Chief, thank you. That's a very, very good explanation uh, of our use of resources. If there is a report of shots fired, whether it comes from someone calling on 911 or from the shot spotter system, I'm very glad that, an, that officers can respond to that. They don't always find shell casings because maybe the firearm in use was a revolver or for some other reason. 
but very often they do, and they can be entered into the NIBIT, the uh, national, the ballistics system that can tie that particular firearm to other crimes. It's an incredibly useful tool. I have requests in Southwest Denver uh, on a fairly frequent basis uh, for ShotSpotter to be expanded uh, south from where it already is located. Uh, the fact that 87% of the calls that ShotSpotter initiates as gunfire, and not all of them are gunfire, they analyze them, could be fireworks, they don't send you out on that. Uh, but 87% have no corresponding 911 call uh, is incredible. It means people are not calling when they hear gunfire. Only 13% uh, of those shot spotter calls, did you get a citizen to call up and say, I heard gunfire. More frequently, I see on Facebook or Twitter or X or whatever it is today, uh, I see people posting, is that gunfire? I thought I heard gunfire. And if they tag me on it, I'll say, did you call DPD? And I say, well, no. Well, you know, how do you expect them to, to respond to it without this system, which I think is a very, very useful tool. And uh, in fact, I don't know, Chief Thomas, if you are aware of this particular case. I know there have been other cases where lives have been saved. I know there was a case on East Colfax several uh, a while back where uh, someone was shot, shot spotter, uh, alerted to the call, and officers got there in time to save a shooting victim who was bleeding out. So thank you for bringing, bringing this contract forward. And I ask everyone, please vote to approve this. Uh, shot spotter is not necessarily a tool to reduce you know, gun violence in the city, but it is part of an overall strategy. I, I, I will say that, so thank you. Thanks, one more question, Councilwoman Parity. Yeah, I just, we had a good meeting about this last week, um, Chief Thomas, and I really appreciated the information and um, having the chance to like talk through what that data does and doesn't show us. Would you just, would you, would you um, describe a little bit for everybody here today, um, some of what we were able to go over with respect to um, how, how the technology and the company, I guess, over time are trying to learn what is a gunshot and what is not? Yeah, I appreciate that question and opportunity to kind of provide some clarity there. So, so um, there are, you know, in, in the areas that have shot spotter technology, there are nodes that are throughout uh, those neighborhoods that pick up the sound of gunfire. Actually, they pick up the sound of everything. But there are technicians on the end of the line that are able to uh, discern uh, what those, um, you know, what those noises are. And so, um, roughly, I think the data is they you know, pick up, you know, uh, just shy of 300,000 uh, noises uh, in the past year, but they were able to determine that about 5,100 of those no noises were in fact gunfire uh, sent us there to recover evidence or, or find whatever we could find, uh, complete some sort of an investigation. Um, and uh, about a 98% success rate in terms of um, either it, it being confirmed gunfire or not, you know, false negative or false positive. Okay, um, I, yeah, and I, I think that's interesting. I've been mulling about that a little bit, um, but I think looking at the data that you all sent over, um, something like two thirds of the time when officers respond, um, they get to the scene and there's sort of nothing. So it's kind of inconclusive whether, whether it was a shot, whether it wasn't a shot, right? 
Sure. Okay. Um, so I think to kind of follow up on some of Councilmember Lewis's questions, um, where this goes for me, thinking from kind of a civil rights perspective and thinking about how we police and who we police, um, I always worry that we're essentially, um, we're not sending police at the right times. And so folks are going out um, into certain parts of the city um, that are mostly black and brown parts of the city where we have this technology. Police are going out there more often in response to loud noises that sometimes are fireworks, sometimes are cars backfiring, those kinds of like false alarms. Um, and so there's just always a risk that um, I mean, we all know that you're a lot more likely to sort of um, end up being arrested for a crime if you commit it um, and you're poor and black than if you commit the exact same crime and you're rich and white and inside your home or something like that. Um, so I've just been trying to tease apart whether this is technology that's helping us have a better response time in parts of the city that may feel underserved by police, whether it's technology that's um, causing us to go out and um, just be in certain areas a lot more frequently with that kind of presence than we are in other areas um, and what the balance is there. Um, I'm gonna vote yes on this contract, tonight, or not this contract, sorry, on this funding tonight, partly because it's a grant, um, but I think some of those like outstanding data questions, um, when this comes before us for like the rest of the spending um, on the contract that's not through DOJ, um, I'm not I'm not so sure that that I'll be in support of that. So I just want to continue the conversation because I think a lot of the things with these kinds of technologies, it's really in how you use them. Um, and I also get nervous about the fact that this is a private company that's trying to refine this data. I like that they're open with their data, but that's still um, that's still a little concerning to me because they're fundamentally marketing a product, right? So that's a little bit of a speech, um, but I think we need to talk quite a bit more um, about this technology and how it's deployed in our city. Thank you, uh, Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, uh, Council President. Quick question, uh, Chief Thomas. Can you share how this data, if it does, how does how does the department um, leverage this data to either identify um, 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 situations where there is increased um, uh, crime or criminal behavior, and also does this um, leveraging uh, this um, uh, technology, what impacts does that have on capacity planning, um, working with your district commanders? H how do you use this information uh, to make our city a, a little safe? As I said earlier, it's part of a strategy. So certainly we are, um, you know, we, we're not just, um, you know, deploying shot spotter data in areas where we think there are gunshots or you know, in areas that are determined to be high crime neighborhoods. We are deploying shot spotter technology in neighborhoods that we know through data, through reporting that have, that, that have a high number of individuals that have been shot, uh, that have been killed by gunfire, where we have received, we actually have received um, calls and reports of gunfire. So it's really a kind of a combination of data um, that is used to develop an overall strategy as it, as it relates to uh, responding to these crimes of violence and, and you know, uh, you know, even getting together with community partners and other city partners to develop an overall plan for how do we, how do we better support a community so that we can reduce uh, violent crime overall. And so you use this data in combination with discussions with experts that are looking at uh, criminal activity across the board. This data is not just simply used in a vacuum. Uh, you're not just doing shot spotter 
BAM, this is our, our strategic process. You are still leveraging many other tools within the department um, to identify and to do your best and your duty to reduce crime. Um, thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Chief Thompson. Thank you very much. Councilman Flynn, before you're up again, do you mind if I ask a couple of questions? Thank you. Thanks, Chief. We've been having a lot of um, really great conversations with Commander Ledger and uh, Lieutenant uh, Rebecca Rano and District 1 new leadership, um, and particularly around um, the organization of how many folks are on the shift um, in District 1. And um, what I've been taking away from that is um, how data oriented uh, that district and I hope all districts are about uh, when where do we have calls for service and let's put more uh, cars on the street for those. Um, the um, patrol for each district are responding to shot spotter. Is that right? What I'm wondering is um, if if we're if they're not responding to an incident by the time they get there and they're recovering casings, is it possible that we could use maybe a less intense, different kind of crew that respond to shot spotter as, so that we're not taking patrol officers um, off of calls for service? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And so, I mean, certainly again, a shot spotter call is um, a priority call that priority is, is set by the dispatcher. We can certainly have conversations with uh, Denver 911 about um, the, the type of uh, priority to assign to a shot spotter call, particularly shot spotter call that there's not some other corresponding information that may make it more likely that, that indeed it is uh, gunfire. So we can certainly have those uh, conversations. And I think I missed another part of your uh, of your question. Uh, just about whether or not it, it's a different kind of crew that respond just so that we can keep patrol officers responding to calls. That's certainly open for discussion as well. I will tell you though that um, be, because I think that the recovery of evidence uh, is important and also connection with um, with witnesses is important. There's daytime follow-up uh, at these shot spotter locations as well for two reasons. Number one, um, so that we can see that evidence that we may not have been able to see under the cover of darkness. We may be able to contact witnesses who may not have been able to be contacted in the middle of the night. The other thing too, is I suspect that one of the reasons why there is such a low occurrence of individuals that are calling police in these uh, locations where we have shot spotter alerts is because of a lack of confidence in, in the police department. And uh, maybe, you know, fear of, of reprisal or something like that, or just the belief that, well, the police really don't care about that. And so I think it's intentional on my part, I'm certain that it's intentional on my part to make sure that we have officers out the next day in these areas where we've had these reports so that people can look out their window and say, well, I guess they do care about this. Okay, thanks for the response. Certainly. Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, yeah, just, a, I guess, an additional comment, uh, Chief, that uh, the, uh, I'm, I'm very glad that we have the shot spotter system in place. I would also point out that uh, many communities where gunfire, gunshots are heard frequently, have called for more police presence in particular because they want to feel safe from gunfire. Uh, I would also point out that fireworks are illegal in Denver and the new members here have not yet lived through the, <laughs> the pain of a 4th of July uh, from mid-June, say, to, to early July. Uh, I, I wish that the, the company that runs this could develop a fireworks spotter as well so that we could uh, cut down on that. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chief. Uh, Madam Secretary, roll call, please, on Resolution 1839. 
Sawyer? Aye. Alvidras? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Nay. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 11 ayes, one nay. 11 ayes, Council Resolution 1839 is adopted. Um, Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screen, screens, 1864 resolution um, to build, design, build and operate a Chick-fil-A concession at Denver National Airport. Councilwoman Alvidez, will you please put 1864 on the floor for adoption? I move that Council Resolution 23-1864 be adopted. Thank you, and that's been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council. We will start with Councilwoman Lewis. I don't have a comment, just like to vote. Got it, thank you very much. Seeing no one else in queue, uh, roll call please on resolution 1864. Oops. Sawyer? Aye. Alvidras? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Lewis? Nay. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Nay. Watson? Nay. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. Three nays, nine ayes. Nine ayes. Council Resolution 1864 is adopted. Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens, Resolution 1830, approving a master purchase order with Safeware Inc. Uh, for public safety and emergency preparedness. Uh, Councilwoman Elvidrez, will you please put 1830 on the floor for adoption? I move that Council Resolution 23-1830 be adopted. Thank you, and that's been moved and seconded. Comments by members of Council. We'll start with Councilwoman Lewis. Thank you so much, um, <clears throat> Madam President. I just had a few questions about this contract in particular um, around the civil disturbance equipment. I'm not sure who can answer these questions. Great, thank you. Can you introduce yourself? Lance J, Chief Procurement Officer, City and County of Denver. Hi, thank you. <coughs> um, <clears throat> I So I was only concerned about the civil disturbance equipment within this contract. And so I probably feel more comfortable voting for this contract if it, if that was taken out of it. But I just wanted to know if you could talk to me about like the percentage of this contract that would be dedicated to the civil disturbance equipment. In this contract, nothing is dedicated um, to any one category. That's just one of many categories this company carries. Yeah. Uh, the main items that are used through this organization is for Denver Fire, Okay. Uh, for detection materials, as well as supporting the <clears throat> migrant sheltering when it comes to uh, equipment and supplies for PPE and general control. Okay, uh, so I understand that there's no specific piece that would be dedicated to this civil disturbance equipment, but I think when I looked at the contract, it said up to 41%, but you're saying that, that that's maybe pretty unlikely? It's not 41%. Uh, up to. It could be, it's, it's, it depends on what's what's going on within within the city. If it, last summer, for example, there was several instances where we had to rely on them for that. 
so far this year, luckily, we've not had any, any need for that, that equipment. Yeah. Um, so how would it be determined then? Because it's the contract, that's how it reads in the contract that was submitted to city council. And Lance, this may, if this is a question for safety, we can ask some of them. It's just, also it's, a, come it's, a, it's a general okay. support, uh, it's a general support contract uh, to go along with Safeware as well as Granger, Fastenal, Home Depot Pro, just to expand our ability to purchase some of these items. Okay, thank you. Great, thank you so much. Councilman Hines. Uh, thank you, uh, Council President. Um, it's, this is similar to some of our on-call contracts that other agencies have um, have created in the past and in uh, some ways to give some colleagues heartburn uh, because we're authorizing beyond a half million dollars um, and, and we don't know exactly where, they're, uh, where those funds are going. Um, the question for either you or safety, um, would, uh, uh, would someone, and this might actually be more for safety, would someone be willing to share with us a report once you end up spending the money uh, on what you've spent it on? What I can share with you, oh. um, we're about 800,000 so far this year uh, on safety related supplies. And we have a report for you for that. So you've already spent $800,000? Correct. Of the, of the thing that we're about to vote on? No, this is, this is for the general cooperative, uh, but this is in general spend. Got, got it. The purpose of bringing this forward is to formalize the relationship with Safeware to facilitate the day-to-day -day purchases to support the safety group as well as fire and as general city operations. Awesome. Well, um, and I don't need it right now, but if you'd be willing to share it, or if you could email it to uh, to the council, that would be great. Thank you. Thank you, Council President. Thank you, Lance. And Brenda, if you want to give that to our, our um, secretary as well, she can distribute copies if you brought hard copies. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, I have more in queue. Thanks. Uh, Councilwoman Parity. Yeah, hi. So, um, I just want to sort of jump in here and it may be more of a comment than a question, but I think in the in the context of a contract that includes, um, to Councilmember Lewis's point, civil disturbance equipment, um, for that to be an on-call contract where we don't really know in advance um, how much of the money is going to be spent on these various items, which have really different purposes within the city. Um, this to me is an exemplar of the issues um, that Councilman Hines is pointing out that many of us um, speak about with on-call contracts. Um, I am always very concerned with whether we are essentially militarizing our police force in the city, with whether we're spending money on equipment that with our very scarce public dollars um, that would be far better spent on social determinants of safety. Um, and I think uh, an on-call contract that sort of puts all these things in a bucket and says, you know, up to 41% um, is really troubling to me. So I'm gonna be a no on this tonight. Um, I don't think I have any questions, so I'll just pass it on to the next person. Thank you. Thank you. And we have uh, two more in queue. Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, this master purchase order is procured under a broader multi-government uh, bid, correct? Can you describe? Yes. Right. And that's a com pretty common. Okay. And I see on the list that among the things that we can procure under this is uh, personal protective equipment otherwise known as PPE. Uh, and that's mostly, say, directed uh, or uh, uh, purchased for the fire department. Okay. Uh, detection equipment has spill control, explosion protection, uh, traffic safety is on here, et cetera. Uh, the civil disturbance gear, uh, in, I, I can't imagine why 
someone would not want to have a purchase order for something that may be needed in the event of a civil disturbance. If there were a civil disturbance, I don't want Chief Thomas's people going out without appropriate gear. So I'm kind of puzzled by uh, not wanting to have that on hand in the event of, of such a, a need, uh, just like the firefighters need their PPE or the explosive device mitigation and remediation equipment might be needed in the event of, of uh, uh, the bomb squad going out, for example. So uh, I urge my, my colleagues to uh, support this. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President. Um, Lance, question for you about, so I'm looking um, at the contract under Appendix A, it's page seven. Um, the last bullet point on page seven says, other non-listed public safety law enforcement and fire equipment. Um, what does that cover? It could be everything from crowd control equipment to roadside devices. It could be MREs for the migrant sheltering response. MREs are what? Uh, ready, to eat, ready to eat foods. Thank you. Just for the general public. Yep, no Thank you very much. Thanks for that, Lance. Um, okay, so I, I am concerned about this contract as well. Um, and the reason is because other non-listed public safety law enforcement and fire equipment could be anything, as you just said. Um, we don't know what it is. It could be something completely innocuous or it could be a tank. We don't, we don't know. Um, vehicles are also on this list. So you're asking us for essentially a blank check um, with no reporting on the back end in terms of how this money is spent. Um, and I recognize that there is a need in our safety department for a number of the items that are on this list. And so I'm gonna be supportive of it tonight, but I would also like to um, second Councilmember Heinz's request um, for some follow-up on this contract to see how the money was actually spent because I'm very concerned um, that the way that this has come to us, right? Council gets a thumbs up or a thumbs down and that's it. Um, the contract is baked by the time it arrives in front of us. Um, and I'm really concerned that the way this contract is written is so broad and so general that there is no accountability at all um, on what could be purchased here. And that is very, very concerning, um, especially because this isn't set up as an on-call contract. So there is nothing um, to require backend oversight except for your word that you're willing um, to provide that to us. So um, I am willing to support this tonight because I recognize um, that some of the things that are on here are of real and immediate need, but I would appreciate it if in the future general in the future, general service doesn't bring a contract like this to us um, because this it, it's not it, contracts need to be, more specific than this if you want them to be approved. I think um, this blank check is very, very concerning. I appreciate your willingness to give us that backend um, data once the money is spent. And that is the only reason that I am approving this contact, contract this evening because um, this is just, it's way too broad. Thank you. Thank you very much. If I could just interject and follow up on that. Lance, could we um, just plan a time 
several months down the road for um, general services to report back either to FinGov or to safety, probably FinGov, since it's general services, just so we have a status report yeah, on it. it. We can provide a quarterly spend report. That'd be great. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Councilman Hines. Uh, thank you, Council President. Um, I wonder that I've heard a couple of colleagues talk about 41%. Um, there is a 41% that shows up a bunch in the contract in attachment two. That is a discount uh, from retail. So I, I wonder if that's where you're getting the 41%. And if you find it in another spot, then I'm all ears. I, I don't mean to try to correct you, but I wonder if the 41% is just discount off of retail. Uh, thank you, Council President. Thank you, Councilwoman Parity. Yeah, I just to put a finer point on civil disturbance equipment, I don't know exactly what might be purchased under the scope of this contract, which I think is part of the point. But I just I don't want it to go unsaid that um, we have had huge problems in our city with how we have repressed dissent um, that during the summer of the George Floyd uh, protests, my neighbor who um, works for Amnesty International analyzing like GIS data was asked by her bosses to go around and collect the rubber bullets that had been shot throughout Denver. She came home with a pile. She put them on her porch. And as we know, people lost eyes. Um, you, I mean, so this is real. Um, and I think there are good reasons why I, I can imagine why people would not want an open-ended contract for civil disturbance equipment. Um, I don't think that's um, a perspective that should be inaccessible to our council members. So um, that's the piece of this that concerns me. Lumping those things together, I understand the need to be flexible for things like PPE and other and, and other kinds of equipment. Um, but I think it's my duty up here on this dais to make sure that um, that we don't allow sort of unlimited purchasing of things that go to overarm police when they're faced with peaceful protesters. Thank you so much. And Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam President. I just want to. Uh, uh, add on to what Councilman Hines pointed out, because I too could not find a, a, an allocation of 41% of this amount to civil disturbance gear. And thank you for finding that it is a 41% discount off of retail. We haven't allocated any of it toward civil disturbance gear, perhaps may not purchase any of it under this. But uh, to Councilwoman Sawyer's point, this is not a contract that we negotiated the specifics. This is a national co-op agreement that multiple governments across the country buy into. And that's how we get the 41% on the firefighter gear and on the other items in that list. And that if we were to, uh, to do a custom written list of things that we would have to negotiate at Denver would with all these different firms uh, that you had mentioned, in addition to Safeware, and probably not get the 41% discount. So this is actually a very, very good deal for Denver. Thank you. All right, continuing the dialogue on Council Councilwoman Parity. <laughs> that was Sorry, a holdover? I, I think that was my request from before. I'm okay. not backing you, thanks. Okay, very good. Uh, Councilwoman Sandoval. <clears throat> Thank you, Madam President. Is there a different definition of civil disturbance equipment? A different definition? Is there a definition? Do you have a definition on what civil disturbance equipment means? That could be everything from a road barrier to flashlights. It could be... How are flashlights civil disturbance equipment? That seems like it's safety. And how are road barriers so like that as well? Examples, it's it's all in, in one in one pile. 
but how are like how is a flashlight a civil disturbance equipment i would think of a flashlight as a flashlight like how does how do you get that definition that, that was just an example of an item yeah. yeah but give me more because i don't think a flashlight is what we're talking about up here so give me a different example because i think that this when i sit here and read civil dis disturbance equipment i don't think of a flashlight so i'm thinking that i think of a um whatever was used a projectile like in the george floyd protests but you're not calling that out i didn't see flashlights used during the george floyd protest i did not see barriers i used some but i don't think any of us up here are talking about civil disturbance equipment as a flashlight and road equipment i get barriers when i do events at la raza park i can go to dotty and I can get a road barrier, a road closure. I don't think they call it civil disturbance equipment. I can go to um, Parks and Rec and say, hey, I need a flashlight or I need a generator. I don't think they call that civil disturbance equipment. So can like, like if I Google what civil disturbance equipment is, do you am I gonna look up a flashlight? Well, if you talk about projectiles and things like that, those are all regulated items and we don't purchase those through Safeway. That's all purchased by our safety department through regular regulatory agencies. What have you purchased in the past that is civil disturbance equipment besides a flashlight and road barriers? Knowledge so far, nothing from Safeware. So you, we've never used this terminology before in a contract? Not for Safeware, that's correct. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Madam President. Great, thank you very much. Um, seeing no one else in queue, uh, Madam Secretary, roll call, please, on Resolution 1830. Thank you, Lance. Sawyer? Aye. Alvidrez? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Nay. Parody? Nay. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? No. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. Three nays, nine ayes. Nine ayes. Uh, resolution 1830 is adopted. Uh, Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. Uh, this is uh, Bill 1843, making a rescission from the City Council General Fund. Uh, Councilwoman Sandoval, go ahead with your comment on 1834. Thank you. I'm sorry, 1843. <laughs> no problem. Thank you, Madam President. I just want to thank all of my colleagues up here this evening um, for Bill 1843. Um, uh, uh, November 1st, I was called by community to go to an encampment um, full of migrants. And I showed up at a park and um, unbeknownst to me, people had been living in a park across the street from a migrant shelter and they were cooking food and um, doing the best that they can to be acclimated to the United States. Soon after, um, I continued to go to the encampment that is rapidly growing in my council district um, and saw a need. So what I did was I called all of my, I called Council President Torres and um, the chair of our budget working group, Councilwoman Gilmore, and asked if I could make a um, plea to our colleagues as they were fig figuring out the end of the year budget 
could, did they have any money to put towards the human service border crisis response, which is used for food, clothing, medical housing, but mostly staff. 44% of what makes up our migrant response are the people. And the people who are doing this work for over a year are getting tired. And I know this is taxing on everyone. So I just wanna give a shout out to all of you up here who were able through city council, instead of buying extra supplies, instead of buying furniture, you provided additional funding for the migrant sheltering effort, which totaled $330,000. So thank you all up here. Um, this is what democracy looks like, is us responding in the best way we can. We can't um, make a policy um, around this, but we can use our um, funds in our offices to make sure that we are re responding. And the reason I say we can't make a policy about this is we're having to work with the mayor's office. So it's a very complicated um, topic. And so just wanna give a shout out to all of you um, thank you, I, all of you know, um, myself and all of us up here have been knee deep in this conversation. I just was at a five hour meeting this afternoon. That's why I missed budget and policy regarding the newcomers. So thank you all. Um, just from the bottom of my heart, um, I couldn't, we couldn't have given a better gift during this holiday season. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Thank you both for um, uh, your comments tonight, but also for spearheading uh, that effort. Um, Seeing no one else in queue, we'll move on to our next item. Madam Secretary, please put um, the next item on our screens. This is um, Bill 1722, an ordinance um, amending Article 2 for building and green codes. Um, Councilwoman Alvarez, will you please put Bill 1722 on the floor for final passage? I move that Council bid. Council Bill 23-1722 be placed upon final consideration and due pass. Thank you very much. And that's been moved and seconded. Um, uh, comments first, I will start with Councilwoman Alvidrez. Thank you, Council President. Um, I heard someone was here to answer this. I know that if this is what I uh, recall from Louie, <coughs> my concern about this bill was potentially um, removing some requirement to notice neighbors of construction. Somebody answer that. Thanks, Eric. If you can introduce yourself at the podium. Yes, good afternoon. Eric Browning, Building Official Community Planning and Development. Um, yes, um, received um, your uh, questions and concerns um, did correspond uh, following um, Ludi, though did not hear back from your office. Happy to address any additional uh, concerns you may have now with respect to um, your comments and those of Councilman Cashman understand that there is a desire to engage with the community to help um, build those neighborly relationships so that we are not simply passing the buck, so to speak, in terms of notifications, uh, making sure that that communication line is as open as it can be, also re um, recognizing we certainly don't want to overreach from a jurisdictional or regulatory perspective, um, and that we do have a couple of different departments involved uh, in uh, the development or redevelopment in certain areas. Uh, as I recall, we had talked about the private parcels as well as some of the, uh, the public air spaces, whether it was a sidewalk or, or a public street. Um, so again, happy to speak further as, as you wish. 
I'm sorry that we weren't able to get back to you, um, but I do have a concern about that and I don't really understand if that change is still happening. Language that we proposed uh, in Ludi regarding notifying properties that are immediately next to or adjoining that which is under development versus those that might be across an alley or on the other side of a street uh, is the same as it was when we had presented it in, in Ludi. Okay, I, I am disappointed to know that. I do think that it's just a notice. It's just letting your neighbor know and I don't see any pro anything productive about not letting your neighbor know when you're gonna do construction or permitting. So thanks for the answer, okay. Uh, seeing no one else, thank you. Madam Secretary, roll call on Bill 1722. Sawyer? Aye. Alvidrez? No. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero, Camp Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. One nay, 11 ayes. I think I counted two nays. Were you a nay or an aye? Oh, aye. One, one nay, thank you. Okay. My ears are not okay. fully operating. One nay, uh, 11 ayes. Thank you very much. Uh, Council Bill 1722 has passed. Um, all bills for introduction are ordered published. Council members, remember this is a consent or a block vote and you'll need to vote aye. Council Member others, will you please put the resolutions for adoption and the bills on final consideration for final passage on the floor? Uh, <clears throat> I move that the resolutions be adopted and bills on final, final consideration be placed upon the final consideration and do pass in a block for the following items. <clears throat> Uh, the, this entire series will be series 23. We have 1831, 1841-1849, 1842-1843, 1845-1846, 1847-1858, 1859-1860, 1861-1862, 1863-1865, 1808-1809, 1862, 1832-1833, 1834-1845, 1846-1847, 1933-1827, 1828-1839, 1830-1841, 1842-1843, 1804-1845, 1856-1857, 1858-1869, 1870-1871, 1872-1873, 1874-1875, 1876-1877, 1878-1879, 1880-1881, 1882-1883, 1884-1885, 1886-1887, 1887-1888, 1889-1890, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890-1891, 1890
Madam President. Aye. And Watson is aye. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Watson. <laughs> Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. Thank you. 12 ayes. The resolutions have been adopted and the bills have been placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you, everyone. Uh, tonight, Council will hold a required public hearing on Bill 1485, changing the zoning classification for 3701 West 9th Avenue in Villa Park. A required public hearing on Bill 1482, changing the zoning classification for 624 East 50th Avenue and 4964 North Pearl Street in Globeville. And a required public hearing on 1567, changing the zoning classification for uh, multiple properties along East Colfax between Grant Street and Yosemite Street in North Cap Hill, Cap Hill, City Park West, Cheeseman Park, City Park, Congress Park, South Park Hill, Hale, Montclair, and East Colfax. Anyone wishing to speak on these matters must go online, sign up during the recess of council. If there's no objections, we will recess until 5.30. Before reconvening that regular meeting, council provides a half hour general public comment session to hear from the public on city matters, except for when scheduled for a legally required public hearing. The general public comment session begins at five. Channel 93.3 presents Not So Silent Night, Lovejoy with Colony House, Ella Red, and Seth Beamer live at Mission Ballroom. This concert is open to all ages. With delightfully ostentatious holiday decor, delectable cocktails, and the nostalgia of childhood's dancing sugar plum visions, Miracle at Union Station is certain to convert even the grouchiest of Grinches. And for those who celebrate the eight crazy nights, the bar also features a proudly designated Hanukkah table amidst the Christmas frenzy. For 33 years, Zoolites has been the heart of your holidays. This year, there's more magic than ever, including new animated light sculptures, returning favorites, nightly ice carving exhibitions, and festive seasonal treats. And of course, it's all happening at Denver Zoo. Successful actor, writer, producer, and musician Adam Sandler will be at Ball Arena December 12th, a show mixed with stand-up comedy and live... In 2015, Renee has immersed himself in the local music community, running showcases, um, uh, songwriter swaps, and open mics with past performances at uh, Swallow Hill, Globe Hall, KRFC Radio. Renee has also recently completed a two-year weekly songwriter residency at the Molecule Effect. Uh, Renee volunteers his time and performances to a variety of nonprofits, including We Cycle, Sophie's Neighborhood, and Youth on Record, and has spent the past five years serving on the advisory panel for Denver Arts and Venues Music Advancement Fund. With the help of Colorado's finest musicians, Renee's um, latest album was uh, recorded in part at Denver's own Mighty Fine Studios. Um, and this past November, uh, Renee sold his album release show at Molecule Effect. District 3 Molecule Effect, I think, on Santa Fe. Gosh, Park, different one. Thank you. Um, you can learn more about Renee and his music online at Renee Moffat, R-E-N-E-M-O-F-F-A-T-T dot com. Uh, we welcome Renee Moffat to Council Chambers. Uh, and thanks to Council, my uh, little girl at home thinks all of my performances are televised. So. <laughs> <laughs> Songs called Yours to Keep. <laughs> 
Keep me honest. Keep me on my toes. Keep on showing me the love I need. And see how my heart rolls. So my heart and with kindness. You will surely reach. Hard to love you in this alone. Oh, yours to keep. We get ahead. Sometimes we fall behind. You need your friends and your family. They are the ones who will remind the ones to keep you grounded. While others have resigned, they made you well-rounded, so you repay time. This I ask of you. Take all that I Hold it up to the fire, hold me to the flame, and let it burn, see what will remain. Keep me on it. Keep me on my toes. Keep on showing me the love I need. See how my heart grows. So my heart with kindness. And you will surely hear it. Hard to love you endlessly alone. Renee, thank you very much for being with us tonight. Again, folks, that is Renee Moffat, R-E-N-E-M-O-F-F-A-T-T.com. Thank you again. Council will now reconvene from our early session. Uh, there is no unfinished business, uh, but we do have one proclamation being read this evening. Council members uh, Flynn, Cashman, and Parody, will you please read Proclamation 1876? Yes, thank you, Madam President. This is proclamation number 
1876, honoring Jeannie Kaplan for her dedication to the public school system. Whereas Jeannie Kaplan's parents immigrated to the United States from Russia at young ages, and both eventually became public school teachers, with Jeannie's dad going on to earn a PhD and become a professor at Youngstown, Youngstown State University in Ohio. And whereas, having parents who were teachers and having her own positive experience in public schools while growing up, Jeannie believed every child should be able to receive an outstanding education at their neighborhood school without regard to race, ethnicity, native language, or economic status. And whereas Jeannie and her husband Steve started a family in 1980 raising two children, both of whom attended Denver Public Schools and graduated from East High School, during which time Jeannie was engaged in their education and was involved with community groups within DPS and became a relentless advocate for public education. And whereas in 2005, Jeannie was elected to the Denver Public Schools Board of Education, where she served two terms and... Whereas while serving on the school board, Jeannie believed public schools should be fully and equitably funded without the need for private funds and resources. And she was particularly known for finding common ground and maintaining relationships despite disagreements. And whereas Jeannie lost a valiant battle with cancer on November 4th, leaving behind her husband, children, and four grandchildren to carry on her love for Denver as a place to raise families and her belief that Denver can't be a great city without great schools. Now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Council of the City and County of Denver, Section 1, that the Council of the City and County of Denver recognizes Monday, December 11th as Jeannie Kaplan Day to honor her for her dedication to the public school system. Section 2, that the Clerk of the City and County of Denver shall affix the seal of the City and County of Denver to this proclamation and that a copy be transmitted to the Kaplan family. Thank you very much. Uh, Councilman Flynn, your motion, please, to adopt. Thank you, Madam President. I move that Proclamation 23-1876 be adopted. Thank you, and that has been moved and seconded. Uh, we'll start with comments first uh, before we vote, and we'll start with our sponsors. Councilman Flynn. Um, thank you, Madam President. Um, the, loss of, the loss of a mother, an old spouse, a grandmother in any family is, is always very difficult. And having endured some of that myself, I know, uh, Steve and family, uh, the kind of grief that you're going through. When a person such as Jeannie Kaplan passes away, I think it's, it's really right that we mark that time uh, in Denver public school history when a lot of work was being done and it was collaborative and it was essential. And Jeannie was very well known for working with people, working together to make DPS as good as it could be. My wife is a retiree from DPS and had followed the, uh, the Diane Ravitch's blog, which is how my wife became aware, Steve, of, of Jeannie. I have, you know, I was aware of her through my, my, know, my knowing you, Steve, for the last 40 years. And 
um, Harriet would tell me how much it meant to her to have that advocacy be centered right here in Denver for neighborhood schools, for public schools, where the children of Denver could get a great education. I think the light that Jeannie lit during her two terms on the council will be remembered for a long time, and it should be. And I'm hoping that this proclamation helps to keep that flame burning and alive. Thank you. Thank you. Councilman Cashman. Yeah, thank you, uh, Madam President. Um, to the family and, and friends, uh, again, my condolences. Uh, terrible loss. I mean, uh, with a lot of people, I, I grew to admire and respect Jeannie for her work on the school board, but um, I knew Jeannie for a long time before she ran for school board when Michael, who's sitting here today, I don't know, you 6'4", Michael, 6'5", um, when he was about half that size and played outfield for the uh, Mother of God Stars in the Catholic Youth Recreational uh, Association team, along with my younger son, Jess. And I knew Jeannie just as uh, another mom who was devoted to her kids, loved showing up at the games, uh, made her voice heard at the games, it, it was supportive and just a good friend uh, all along. And I, I actually remember being a little bit surprised uh, some years later when I heard she was running for school board. Like I said, I, I just knew her as, as a nice, nice person and, you know, grew to admire her as a mom and then uh, forget grandma. I mean, she adored uh, these four beautiful uh, little ones out there. I think it's, what do we have? We have uh, Sophie, Morris, Zev, and uh, Sammy. And uh, was it Morris who spoke so well at the memorial ceremony? Uh, just a wonderful job. Um, yeah, her work, uh, as, as we reconnected during her time on the school board, um, I was just impressed with her commitment, her, 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 her knowledge and understanding of public education and its importance uh, to children, to communities. And uh, I also really enjoyed getting to know the side of her that took no prisoners. She was not shy about making her voice heard. So um, one thing that uh, I guess you would call it a bit of a coincidence, um, Jeannie uh, passed on November 4th, which happens to be my birthday. So I've decided with all of you, I will mourn her, her memory that this year, but after that, I'll, I'll celebrate Jeannie along with myself uh, every November 4th. And uh, again, my condolences, I, I wish you all well. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilwoman Parody. Well, I'm probably the wrong person to go last because I didn't know Jeannie myself, um, but I was, have been lucky enough for a really long time to know her son, Mike, um, 
her daughter-in-law, Alex um, Morris, and I haven't actually met Zev, just seen him on you know, social media <laughs> and those kinds of things. Um, but I can infer from those relationships um, from this really lovely group of, we were young lawyers together, now we're kind of old lawyers together, um, that she was probably very funny, um, very outspoken and very warm. Um, and when I read about her work, which I have for years without knowing that she was my friend Mike's mom, um, I, I think about how much we're, we're kind of losing that buy-in to the idea that like we have to have these public systems, especially when it comes to education, that we all participate in, that we all support, and that that really is better for all of us at the end of the day, that we're not better off if we withdraw from the common good and from um, all supporting and lifting each other up. Um, I think about that all the time now that my daughter has started at DPS, how lucky, um, how lucky we are that, that we have um, that system and that we've had people that were just unabashed. I think the word in the proclamation was relentless advocates um, to sort of fight against those tides of privatization and uh, dividing ourselves off into pockets. So um, thank you so much for sharing her with Denver. Um, thank you all for being here tonight. It's really good to see your faces um, and I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you, Councilwoman Lewis. Thank you. Um, I'll keep it brief. I spent some time, um, it's actually how I met uh, Councilwoman Sandoval um, at Denver Public Schools. I led all of our family and community engagement efforts. Um, and maybe aside from this one, that was probably one of the hardest jobs that I have ever had. And um, Jeannie made it a lot easier for me um, to survive all um, that DPS was. And so um, I'm incredibly saddened um, to hear of your loss, but um, I stand maybe even before you um, because of um, how often when I was not um, feeling my best about the work um, that she was continuously fighting alongside of me to make sure that folks had access to education. And so um, thank you for sharing her with us, um, even if you didn't know you were sharing with her with us. Um, that's it, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Sawyer? Aye. Alvitras? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Proclamation 1876 has been adopted. And we have time for proclamation acceptance. Councilman Flynn, if you'd like to invite family up. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, Steve, I don't know if the family has decided who would like to speak. If you're all invited to share some words, uh, come up to the. Come, yeah, come up to the. <laughs> up to the microphone. Before you start, I'd like to, uh, Steve, I'd like to recognize that we have uh, former councilwoman Debbie Ortega here, who uh, worked uh, many years on this dais with Steve when you were city attorney back in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. It might have been that long since you've been in this room, maybe, <laughs> or feels like it. But welcome, and please, anyone who wants to share some words, come on up. So first, thank you all. Uh, this was uh, when Councilman Flynn called about this, very unexpected, uh, made us all very happy and really appreciate, given all that you have to deal with from 
migrant situation, the unhoused safety, um, all of the problems that you need to address and are addressing, and we thank you for your service. Um, but this, is, is, sorry, this is what she really fought for. And all of, all of you who have kids and grandkids, that's what it was all about. Um, I know your jobs are hard. And again, we are so grateful for you taking time to do this for us. Um, we're just very grateful. And we hope that um, you all have good holidays and um, enjoy them. And this will make our holidays just a little bit brighter. Do you guys want to say anything? Just thank you all very much. Um, I don't have anything profound to say other than this is very meaningful and um, we all knew her as one person and you all knew her as another and it's really nice to see how those two worlds combine and how um, not everybody but almost everybody that met her really loved her and respected her and um, again it's just nice to see um, our personal understanding of her was also reflected in the work she did um, and I sincerely appreciate this gesture so thank you all again thank you all very much I, you do this I know most Monday nights, but just remember, it really means a lot. So, thank you. Thank you. So much for being here. I know our sponsors probably want to see you in the hallway. Um, we have uh, three public hearings tonight. As a reminder, council members um, will turn on their video during the vote. For those participating in person, when called upon, please come to the podium. On the monitor on the wall, you'll see your time counting down. For those participating virtually, when called upon, please wait until our host promotes you to speaker. When you're promoted, um, turn on your camera if you have one and your microphone. All speakers should begin your remarks by telling council your name and city of residence, and if you feel comfortable doing so, um, excuse me, uh, your home address. If you've signed up to answer questions only, please state your name and note you are available for questions of council. Speakers will have three minutes. There is no yielding of time. If translation is needed, you'll be given an additional three minutes for your comments to be interpreted. Speakers must stay on the topic of the hearing and must direct their comments to council as a whole. Please refrain from profane or obscene speech and refrain from individual or personal attacks. Councilwoman Alvideras, will you please put um, Council Bill 1485 on the floor for final passage? I move that Council Bill 1485 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you very much. And that has been moved and seconded. The required public hearing for Council Bill 1485 is open. May we have the staff report. This should show up in my, 
Good evening, members of City Council. My name is Fernando Abud. I'm a senior city planner with Community Planning and Development, and I'm here to present to you an overview of the rezoning request for 3701 West 9th Avenue. It, the presentation today is gonna to be divided into these four sections, and let's start with the request. It, this is an applicant-driven rezoning, uh, looking to rezone from ESUD1 which is a single unit zone district to ERH 2.5, which is a multi-unit zone district up to 2.5 stories, which includes the following building forms of urban house, suburban house, detached accessory dwelling unit, duplex, tandem house, and row house. It, let's look at where the subject property is located. It's in council district three with Council President Torres. It's in the Villa Park neighborhood, and it's located on the corner of 9th Avenue and Mead Street. It's in close, as you can see on the map, it's in close proximity to the Perry Station right there up to the north, as well as the Lakewood Dry Gulch running east to west. And just four blocks to the west is the Joseph Martinez Park. The existing zoning of the property is Urban Edge Single Unit D1. That stands for the ESUD1, which allows for the urban house and the detached accessory dwelling unit on a minimum lot size of 6,000 square feet. The surrounding properties to the north, east, and south also have that same zone district. And directly to the west is a very similar zone district, ESUD1X, which the main difference is that it allows a suburban building house. The existing land use of the property is a single unit residential. And as you can see on the map, it's mostly surrounded by that similar use, single unit residential, as well as some multi-unit on the same block, as well as two unit. In this slide, we can see kind of the character of the area, which is mostly residential. The lower picture on the slide is the subject property. And the top picture on the slide, you can see the houses directly to the north. Now let's look a little bit of the process and how we got here. The informational notice for this case was on July 27th. Then we went on to planning board on October the 4th and we went to the land use transportation and infrastructure committee on October 17th. And we're here today on the public hearing. Up to today, there has not been any public comment received for this case. Now let's look at the review criteria, which would be the, bulk, the larger bulk of the presentation. A, a role as staff planners is to review the proposed zone districts, in this case, the ERH 2.5, against this five set of criteria. So let's start with criteria number one. We'll look at the consistency with the following adopted plans, comprehensive plan, blueprint Denver, and the recently adopted West Area Plan. In terms of consistency with the comprehensive plan, the proposed rezoning aligns with the equity component by creating a mix of housing unit types, especially close to transit in this case. It also uh, supports the environmentally resilient element of the plan by uh, providing infill development on a site where infrastructure and services already exist. Looking at Blueprint Denver, we see how this subject property is mapped as urban edge, and this is defined as some, a neighborhood context that has both suburban and urban elements, mostly single unit and two unit with a mix of multi-unit embedded throughout. 
So the ERH 2.5 zone district is in alignment with this neighborhood context. In terms, in terms of the future place type, the subject property is mapped low medium, which is a mix of low to mid scale multi-unit residential. This multi-unit is embedded throughout the neighborhood in different areas. So the proposed zone district does align with this future place type category. Also in Blueprint Denver, the subject property is part of the all, all other areas of the city growth category, which means this category will take 10% of the new jobs, as well as 20% of the new housing, which these proposed rezoning is supporting. Finally, looking at the West Area Plan, the recently adopted West Area Plan that updated Blueprint Denver guidance, as well as supersede the Villa Park Neighborhood Plan. We looked at it in terms of the neighborhood context, which also aligns with the Blueprint Denver guidance as urban edge, as I mentioned, a mix of suburban and urban elements with this multi-unit development embedded throughout the neighborhood. In terms of the future place type, it's also mapped low medium in this mix of multi-unit multi buildings from low to mid scale. So the proposed zone district of ERH 2.5 does allow for those building forms. In terms of height, this area is mapped as three stories in the West Area Plan with an understanding that 2.5 stories is also appropriate. Moving into criteria number two and three, the proposed rezoning supports the uniformity of district regulations by implementing one of our existing zone districts and it furthers the public health, safety and welfare by implementing our land use adopted plans. In terms of our criteria number four, it, this application identified a change in character as a justified circumstance. This change being the Blueprint Denver and West Area Plan map the area as low medium. So this proposed rezoning is justified to realize that change in land use character. Finally, the proposed rezoning does align with the neighborhood context, a purpose and intent of the proposed zone district, which is a ERH 2.5. Finally, CPD recommends that City Council approves the proposed application based on finding that all review criteria have been met. And this concludes my presentation and I'm here with, for any questions and the applicant is here as well. Thank you, Fernando. Uh, we have two individuals signed up to speak this evening. Um, our first is Monique Maciel. Hi, good evening, everyone. I'm Monique. I'm the applicant for the rezoning application. I really just wanted to show up for questions and address any concerns that come up. I did have some conversations with the RNO, and you know, we we I did attend some meetings there, um, but we didn't get any further communication. So I'm from Denver, just born and raised from Denver. I actually went to West High School, so I went to DPS. Now that we're all touching on that topic, um, and so I just really I grew up actually in Westwood. And then my grandmother lived in Via Park. So I know the area very well, been here my whole life. And so I really want to see kind of the community um, and, you know, offer something better than what's currently there, um, especially given my grandmother had passed away 10 years ago and the property was just kind of left um, in the situation it's in. So really just wanted to show up for questions and um, offer any answers. Great. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. 
Uh, and our next speaker is joining us via Zoom, Jesse Paris. Yes, good evening, members <laughs> of Chambers. My name is Jesse Sean Paris. I'm representing for Black Star Action Movement for Self Defense, Positive Action Commitment for Social Change, as well as the Unity Party of Colorado, the East Denver Residence Council, Frontline Black News, Shabaka's Black Experience Enhanced, um, the Revolutionary Agenda. And I reside in District 8. Chantel Lewis is district of district eight at the Roach Bed Bug and Mice Infested Fusion Studios. Um, I am against this rezoning for the simple fact of why is this needed? Um, this whole area of town has been gentrified, rampantly gentrified. I as well graduated from West High School too in 2005 um, with two diplomas, one from DCIS and from West High School itself. So I'm quite familiar with this area as well. I don't see why this is needed. Like, this is more gentrification as usual. Um, row homes in a predominantly uh, um, single zone district area, That I, I just don't see what the point of this is. Um, so if someone could please explain that to me, like why this is even needed for this area, especially since there's rampant gentrification going on in this side of town. As well as well as the north side of town, as well as the east side of town, and as well as the south side of town. If someone could please explain to me why this is needed, how this meets the criteria of furthest public safety and health, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Good night. Thank you very much. That concludes our speakers' questions from Council on 1485. Um, I'll kick off with just a couple. Um, Monique, um, just a couple for you. I know that um, this was your grandmother's house. I think the um, structure, is there still a structure there that's vacant? It's still vacant, yes. Okay, and you wouldn't, like the, you, you demo that in order to make room for this? Yes, so one of the things with that is it is in terrible condition. So um, my uncle actually was squatting there. Unfortunately, he became homeless, um, you know, similar issues in terms of being able to like with the housing and keep up with everything so he was displaced so the house is empty it's been vacant um i went in a few times and did like a cleanup inside to get you know there was people living in there like sleeping and things like that but it's boarded up now and so i pass by frequently to make sure like the yard is up kept make sure that everything's still looking you know safe for following neighbors and all of that so yeah it's still vacant and then um have you done a project like this before as a as a property owner not I have not um, I have not done something like this and so it was um, something that you know I talked to the family about we became we kind of talked about like agreeing what to do with my grandmother's home because nobody was going to do anything with it and so in order to help them I kind of took it upon myself and worked with my mother to get through all of the paperwork needed um, in order to that's no, okay in order to you know come through with that um, it's me just myself as of now I haven't really looked in depth into like feasibilities and looking at you know what I could what I could potentially do, um, being the first project and you know relying kind of on my network through going you know to, to Denver High School knowing a lot of people, um, you know like the commenter said we also went to DCIS and I went to DU on a scholarship so I feel like a lot of the network that I've built and things like that could help me, um, but I haven't gone through with like a full decision. Okay, yeah, and I remember in committee you mentioned that you might be. Um, you might move into one of the units that gets built. Okay, so you're hoping to keep the property in the family. You want to keep the property in the family. Okay, yep. great. Thank you very much. Those are my questions. Uh, Councilman Flynn. 
Thank you, Madam President. Uh, Fernando, could you, uh, just for clarity's sake, the existing zoning is shown as all uh, edge, urban edge, single unit D1 or D1X nearby, but in the existing land use, there are a number of uh, two unit and multi-unit residential. How did they come to be in a single unit zone? It might be that those existing uses might be grandfathered in from prior, prior to when the zoning code was adopted. So this area, when it was zoned, that was uh, the zone district that was mm -hmm. applied, but some of those areas might be grandfathered in, which uh, they're, they're prior to the zoning code. Yeah. If I could add, Councilman, oh, sure. they've been there for a really long time. I think this is a part of Villa Park that has a lot of duplexes, triplexes, mm -hmm. in addition yeah. to single family homes. So I, I guess no one's here from 2010 who can answer why it was single <laughs> unit, uh, as opposed to allowing uh, multi multi-family. But are they non-conforming, basically? Maybe be that the greater majority might be single unit, or that was kind of the tradition right. moving forward. But that doesn't mean that the other ones were right. were not okay established. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Fernando. Uh, seeing no one else in queue. Public hearing is closed. Uh, comments by members of council on uh, 1485. I'll just kick off. Um, I just want to thank um, uh, Monique uh, for engaging uh, community and the and the the Villa Park RNO. I know you've reached out a number of times and attended meetings. Um, I think that is um, uh, the optimal way in making sure people know um, not just who you are, but what's um, expected on the property. Um, this is a low to medium. Um, uh, density kind of district according to blueprint and so um, this does fall in line and meets all the criteria I'll be voting uh, yes tonight and um, encourage my colleagues to do the same. Councilwoman Alvidrez. Thank you Council President. Um, it's not every day that you uh, get to rezone something for someone you went to high school with and also somebody <laughs> also protested on the same night um, but I think that this is what we want to see is more people being able to um, build wealth within their family in whatever ways they can. And as much as I appreciate um, my friend Jesse's comments, um, we approve things like this for developers and people that are going to make a lot of money every day. And so to do it to, for somebody to be able to build familial wealth, I also would support. So thank you, Council President. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call please on 1485. Sawyer? Aye. Alvitras? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Council Bill 1485 has passed. Thank you very much. Um, Councilman um, Alvidrez, will you please put Council Bill 1482 on the floor for final passage?
<clears throat> I move that Council Bill 1482 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you very much. And that's been moved and seconded. The required public hearing for Council Bill 1482 is open. May we have the staff report? Yeah, good evening. Uh, I want to start with an apology. I recently hurt my throat, so uh, I'm not going to get through this without coughing. So I apologize now. <laughs> um, but my name is Tony Lechuga. I'm the senior planner with Community Planning and Development, and I'll be presenting this council-sponsored application to uh, change <coughs> the zoning classification at 624 East 50th Avenue and 9, uh, 4964 North Pearl Street. Tony, do you need water? Oh, it's okay. I have my water bottle sure? over there. Okay. It's okay. I'll, I'll be all right. <laughs> um, so in terms of this, uh, so this application is being uh, sponsored by Councilman Watson. Um, and the councilman is requesting a change to the zoning classification from industrial mixed use up to three stories with a billboard overlay to the general urban main street up to five stories. Um, the combined two properties are about 20, 23,600 square feet, and one property includes a single story residential structure. Um, the other property is used for vehicle storage and an automotive repair shop and office. The intention behind this rezoning is important um, because the intention is to match the zoning to the adjacent south and <coughs> east, um, which is actually a city owned property that is being developed under the guidance of the Department of Housing Stability, or HOST. Um, it will include significant affordable housing, as well as a number of negotiated community amenities. And once rezoned, these two, <coughs> these two properties will then be acquired by HOST and incorporated into the land lease to be developed in conjunction with those other properties on the site. <coughs> Let's talk about locations. This is in Council District 9 in Council Member Watson's district. This map shows its location in the Globeville neighborhood. And I'll note that these properties are about a quarter mile from the South Flat Greenway, about half a mile from Carpio Sanguinet Park, which is undergoing significant city-led renovations and expansion. And it's about half a mile from the RTD N-Line stop at the National Western Center, which is accessible from a newly constructed bridge that crosses at 51st Street. Uh, this map shows the existing zoning in the area. You can see the subject property is outlined in red there. Um, it's zoned IMX3, as are some of the other properties on the block um, to the immediate north, the west, uh, and farther south. Um, and on this map, you can see the adjacent GMS5, which is that city-owned property that this would be incorporated into. Uh, this side shows the existing land use. Um, so the skinny property along 50th Avenue, um, you can see that is actually the single unit residential home. Um, the other property along Pearl has a listed land use of an office. And adjacent land uses demonstrate the largely industrial nature of the area. Um, but there are several residential properties around this block um, and some existing commercial along Washington Street uh, that has existed for quite a while. This slide shows the existing context with an aerial view of the property and the surrounding area. <coughs> I'm so sorry. Now let's turn our attention to process. Um, so in terms of process, all property owners within 200 feet as well as applicable RNOs and this council were notified about this application um, back on August 3rd. Since then, we've had our planning board hearing, Ludi committee hearing and have been brought here to city council. Um, to date, we've received no RNO comments, 
no public comments. Um, but I will note that we had a few commenters come to planning board to uh, voice their support for the rezoning proposal. Uh, the planning board hearing date, they voted unanimously to recommend approval. And I wanted to mention that they, they expressed praise for this sort of proactive measure um, that the city has taken to ensure the successful community-driven approach to rezoning and developing this large site. <coughs> All right, let's talk about the review criteria. So the Denver Zoning Code has five that were mandated to analyze to determine if a rezoning is appropriate, and I'll go through all of those now. So the first is consistency with adopted plans, and there are three for this site, the two citywide plans, as well as the Globeville neighborhood plan. So starting with consistency with Comp Plan 2040, this proposed rezoning meets multiple goals, <coughs> including increasing the development of housing close to transit, creating a greater mix of housing options in every neighborhood, and building a network of well-connected mixed-use centers and corridors that ensure that every neighborhood can offer a mix of housing types and services for a diverse population. Um, and the many others that are related to creating a connected, safe, and environmentally resilient neighborhood. Moving on to land use recommendations, Blueprint Denver identifies the future neighborhood context as general urban, which is described as having mixed, mixed use multi-unit alongside some single unit, uh, incorporating a mix of uses. <coughs> um, and good street activation with safe pedestrian scale areas. We believe that this rezoning proposal aligns uh, with that neighborhood context. Blueprint also identifies this future place type as community center, which is described as containing a mix of office, uh, commercial, residential, that's larger in scale, uh, including good street activation uh, and safe pedestrian, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> those same safe pedestrian scaled areas. Um, and it includes general height guidance of up to eight stories. Um, so we believe that the proposed main street zone district aligns with those goals of creating that type of scale and environment. Blueprint's growth strategy for this is community centers and corridors, where we expect to see um, some higher intensity of growth by 2040, including 25% of new housing and 20% of new jobs. And now we'll move on to consistency with the small area plan, which is the Globeville neighborhood plan. Um, so this plan identifies the property as mixed use, uh, which is specifically described as mid to high density housing alongside a sizable employment base with strong urban design elements. Um, the proposed zone district, again, would meet those particular characterizations. Uh, the Globeville neighborhood plan uh, also includes recommended maximum heights. Um, in this instance, the subject property is shown as having a recommended maximum height of five stories. And we typically rely on our small area plans to provide more nuanced guidance in terms of that type of recommendation. Um, so their proposal aligns with this. Um, other guidance from the plan suggests providing a broad range of housing types throughout the neighborhood, including multifamily and mixed use. It also specifically called for rezoning and redevelopment along Washington Street to mixed use to allow for the desired retail and services for this neighborhood. Staff also finds that the requested zoning meets the next two criteria, uh, so it would result in uniformity of district regulations, and we believe it <coughs> further public health, safety, and welfare uh, by implementing our plan guidance and by increasing the availability of affordable housing and amenities in a walkable development pattern. In terms of a justifying circumstance, um, there has been <coughs> significant private investment that signals changing conditions, um, including national development of the National Western Center 
and city investments and improvements to the Washington Street corridor, as well as city investments in open space and connectivity. <coughs> lastly, we think it's per, uh, consistent with the neighborhood context, the Main Street zone district purpose and intent statements. And based on the review criteria, um, we recommend approval of this map amendment. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Tony. We'll give yeah. you a little bit of a rest. <laughs> Um, we have uh, two individuals signed up to speak this evening. Uh, we will go online to Nola Miguel. There we go. Hi, good evening, council members. My name is Nola Miguel. I'm the executive director of Piera Colectiva Community Land Trust and the Global Responsive Coalition. Um, I wanted to talk just a little bit about this property. Um, we definitely support this. We're part of the uh, development team for this project with Evergreen uh, Real Estate with Giovanni Butler is there in chambers if, if anyone has questions for him and uh, Rocky Mountain Communities. Um, I just wanted to give a little context for especially for new council members. Um, about five or six years ago, the city purchased this land with the intention of doing affordable housing here. Um, and then they did a community process. I believe Dito led that process um, just to determine what the different priorities for this property were in the community. Um, then the city did a rezone for the, uh, the property. Um, and then they released an RFP and asked for a different uh, development team. Um, what they asked for, because that's what the community wanted was a lot. Um, so what uh, our development team that um, one the RFP is working on is 170 units um, of affordable housing. Uh, one third of those are at 30% and below AMI. Uh, half of those are three and four bedrooms. 50% are um, half, uh, or, sorry, 50% are 50 AMI and below. Um, the commercial spaces, the uh, Globeville Library, is planning to come in here and the additional commercial space we're looking at a cafe that um, Tierra Colectiva would own. And um, we would have a same cafe and potentially a prodigy or other um, cafe users, a commercial kitchen and so on there. We're, we're working with CHF on that. So just to give you a little update, a little context and then a little update on the property. We're so excited about this happening. We've been doing an extensive community process We've had over 13 uh, meetings in the community. Um, we do cafecitos in Espanol. Um, we do, we go to the a garden place, the local elementary school and give them updates. Um, we're, we're kind of on a pause right now, figuring out financing and unfortunately didn't get um, the low income housing tax credits and are figuring out how, um, what our next steps for uh, paying for all this are. Um, but we're very excited about this project and really activating uh, this part of Global again. And that's all. Thank you. Thank you, Nola. Um, we'll keep you in the panel in case there are questions for you later. Um, our last speaker joining us also on Zoom is Jesse Paris. Yes, good evening, members of council, those watching at home, those in the council chambers. My name is Jesse LaShawn Paris, and I'm representing for Black Star Action Movement for Self Defense, Positive Action Commitment for Social Change, as well as the Unity Party of Colorado, the East Denver Residents Council, Frontline Black News, Shabbat. Block experience enhanced the revolutionary agenda and I reside in District 8 at the Roach, Bear Bug, and Mice Infested Fusion Studios in Chantel Lewis's district. 
Um, initially, I was against this rezoning, but hearing from NOLA and GS, I would have to change my mind on that. Um, I thought this was just gonna be more gentrification as usual. I can clearly see it's not. So that's a sigh of relief on this point. Um, I just want to know um, if there have been a neighborhood agreement signed um, with GS. I, I think NOLA had alluded to that, but I'm not 100% sure. And then if this is gonna be affordability for up to how many years, uh, 99 years, uh, 60 years, um, and also, as was there a traffic study done on Washington? Because that stretch of Washington is pretty um, um, heavily trafficked um, artery. So I don't know if they're going to expand the lanes on Washington or keep it the same. But someone could please answer those questions. I would greatly appreciate that. And other, I'm I'm in support of this. So thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, that concludes our speakers. Are there questions for members of council on Bill 1482? Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Council President. I actually have a question for Giovanni Butler. Giovanni, do you mind coming up, introducing yourself? Giovanni Butler with Evergreen Real Estate Group. We're the lead developer on this project. And, and Giovanni, I, I know that um, uh, Nola Miguel shared a little bit about the partnerships um, within the city that uh, this development has engaged. Can you share a little bit more about Denver Public Library, Denver Parks and Rec, and any of the work within on Washington Street Corridor that has occurred? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think Tony had mentioned that on Washington Street, there's gonna be a pretty significant amount of uh, public investment. From 47th Street to 52nd Street, there's gonna be about $50 million of streetscape and, and infrastructure improvements there. Um, we've worked with Denver Public Library for just over a, one year. Um, they'll have a 12,000 square foot branch at the ground level of this project site. Um, there'll be 170 units above that. Uh, as Noah had mentioned, half of those will be three and four bedroom units. So really trying to focus on families, keeping families, bringing families back. Um, so when it comes to that, yes, we've worked with DPL pretty extensively. Parks and Rec, not as much, but. Can you also share kind of deed restrictions that are on any of those properties? So these two parcels will be incorporated into the larger project site, which will go under a 99 year ground lease with the city of Denver, which will basically make this property affordable in perpetuity. Um, so this uh, project site will be affordable for at least 40 years, uh, but due to the 99 year ground lease, it'll be a minimum of 99 years, if not longer. So, oh, thank you so much, Giovanni. And uh, if Nola is still in the queue, uh, Nola, I'm wondering if we can bring her forward. I want to ask you about a little about the um, the work of TR Collectiva. I think some folks are familiar with um, what your the work is, but if you don't mind sharing, since you um, uh, presented that Tierra is part of the development team. Yeah, we are Tierra Colectiva, which means uh, collective land in Spanish. Um, we're a community land trust that uh, is run by community members in Global Larry Swansea. Um, we have so far done home ownership uh, within Global Larry Swansea and are continuing to do that. Um, we're actually uh, incubated under Habitat for Humanity Metro Denver under the Colorado Community Land Trust. Um, and through Habitat are continuing to both do new development. Um, we've done some modular development 
and um, uh, acquisition rehab of, of single family homes. Um, so we have about 25 homes in the queue right now, uh, 13 finished and another uh, 13 or so coming uh, in the next year. And um, this project at 4995 Washington will be the first uh, rental and commercial that, that we'll be doing. Um, and we've learned a lot just by being a part of this development team and really appreciate our partners um, through all this, but um, are really excited to have you know, such a big impact, 170 units is, is really big and the, and the library is, is really important for the community to have. Thank you so much, Nola. And Madam President, I, I don't have any other questions. Great, thank you very much. Um, seeing no one else in queue, uh, the public hearing is closed. Uh, comments by members of council on Bill 1482. We'll start with Councilman Watson. Uh, Council President, uh, I so appreciate the opportunity to speak on this. This was the first uh, rezoning that I uh, proactively uh, came forward to, to sponsor. And I did this because I see this development as an exemplar of a de development process, a community-informed process. It's something that we should be duplicating across the board. When you consider the fact that, uh, with, that there were no um, R&O um, letters, uh, that usually is a flag. But in this situation, I think the RNOs were inundated as well as the community with opportunities to meet, speak, and be a part of every step of this process. Um, one other thing that I thought was exceptional was the willingness of Tierra Colectiva as well as the, the other developers to work collaboratively with the, the city and city agencies. Um, the desire in Globe Bill for a library, um, long sought desire, uh, that was not a slam dunk decision. There were many decisions as to location and place, and they came together in a way that brought the, the not only the community together, but Denver Public Library together uh, to uh, place that library in this space on Washington Street, which is um, going to be such an anchor, not just to the development, but to the, the entire community and walkability of, for folks who live in that community. And one other piece that is still in development is Denver Parks and Rec, is uh, creating open space near this development. Once again, not only providing a 10 minute walk or roll to a Denver Public Library, but a 10 minute walk or roll to um, a, a, a local uh, park, um, it's going to be great. Uh, I think from beginning to end to the uh, materials that the developer is using of timber and making sure that it is, uh, um, that their carbon footprint in the development um, and even the extracting of, of soil and the work for the development that it's done in a way that is environmentally conscious, that intentionality, once again, makes this exemplar. I encourage, um, it's been my, my, my honor to, to, to be a part of this process, to uh, work collaboratively with a development team, and I encourage my colleagues to vote in favor. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. You bet. Councilwoman Parity. Um, I'll just be, be real short and sweet. I'm going to put it out to the universe that we have to get this funded. Um, I, among a lot of other people, was really shocked that the LIHTC funding didn't come through. And um, everybody on council, everybody listening, let's do a little bit of uh, funding hounding for this project because it's such an amazing project. That's all. Agreed. Thank you so much. Um, congrats on getting it this far. And I absolutely agree. Projects like this are, are ones that we need to make sure that we're taking Tierra Colectiva's back as well. Um, seeing no one else in queue, um, Madam Secretary, roll call please on Bill 1482. Sawyer? Aye. Alvidras? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. 
Hines. Aye. Cashman. Lewis. Aye. Parody. Aye. Romero Campbell. Aye. Sandoval. Aye. Watson. Aye. Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Council Bill 1482 has passed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Councilwoman Alvarez, will you please put Council Bill 1567 on the floor for final passage? I move that Council Bill 1567 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you very much. It's been moved and seconded. The required public hearing for Council Bill 1567 is open. May we have the staff report? Yes, thank you, Council President. I'm Libby Glick with Community Planning and Development, and I'll be presenting the legislative rezoning proposal to map the design overlay eight to portions of the East Colfax corridor. So first we'll discuss the request, then the existing context, the process, and we'll finish with the review criteria. Council members Sawyer and Hines are sponsoring this rezoning and are proposing to rezone portions of the East Colfax corridor within two blocks of a proposed bus rapid transit station to include the active centers and corridors design overlay or the DO8. This rezoning is intended to implement adopted plan guidance in the East and East Central area plans. The DO8 is a design overlay that requires non-residential active uses for a portion of the street frontage it limits the building forms to shop front and townhouse. The build to and setback requirements will allow for more space for pedestrians and outdoor dining. The increased minimum setback for residential portions of the structure allow for more porches and patios. Um, the overlay allows permanent art as the only transparency alternative, requires a minimum 14 foot height for the first floor. Um, and then currently this overlay is mapped along Tennyson and Santa Fe. So now we'll discuss the existing conditions. Um, so the proposed rezoning spans four council districts, five, eight, nine, and 10, and council members Sawyer and Hines representing districts five and 10 respectively um, are sponsoring the proposal. Council members Lewis and Watson of districts eight and nine are also aware of this rezoning, um, but they are not sponsors because they joined the city council midway through the process. Um, additionally, former council members Herndon and Cedabaca who had worked on this proposal prior to their departure from city council are supportive of this proposed rezoning. The legislative proposal includes 10 neighborhoods, which you can see on this slide. The existing zone districts are all main street districts in the urban center, general urban, urban and urban edge context with heights ranging from three to eight stories. All of the existing zone districts will remain. This proposal just maps the DO8 in addition to these existing districts. The City Park Natural History Museum view plane is applicable to the western portion of the rezoning. The maximum heights allowed range from 78 to 125 feet, uh, but the proposed rezoning will not change the existing heights. There are several historic landmarks located along East Colfax. Um, with two landmark districts, all construction or all construction within the historic districts and landmarks are subject to landmark design review. And there are a variety of ex existing uses, including commercial, retail, office, mixed use, parking, cultural, public and quasi-public and residential. And the surrounding uses to the north and south are mainly multi and single unit residential. This slide shows the existing building form and scale. You can see there are portions of the corridor where the buildings are close to the street with commercial uses on the ground floor, similar to what this overlay is proposing, while other parts of the corridor are more auto-oriented with large setbacks as shown in the bottom picture. 
The council members are also proposing a grace period for projects that were submitted for concept by July 19th, 2023, which is the date of the notification of this proposal, and that receive approval for the site development plan by December 19th of 2025. Um, so there are 12 projects that are currently included in this grace period. Now we'll discuss the legislative rezoning process. This application was complete in mid-July and the informational notice was sent out on July 19th and this went to planning board on October 18th. Prior to the application submittal, the, the council members conducted significant community outreach, including town hall meetings and online survey and meetings with property owners and organizations. We have not received any comments from the registered neighborhood organizations located along the corridor. Um, but we have received several comments from neighbors one commented in support that this rezoning will make Colfax more vibrant and walkable. Another is concerned that 1801 East Colfax is not included um, because there is a drive-through planned for that site. Um, and I will note that this property is not within the two blocks of a proposed BRT station, which is why it is not proposed to be included. And um, they were also concerned with just drive-throughs being located along the corridor. Um, and then a third comment from the Goddard School, which commented with concerns that this rezoning will impact their proposed um, expansion of um, the school. Um, this item went before planning board on October 18th and the board re recommended approval with a five to two vote. There was much discussion during the, um, the question and deliberation periods and those members who opposed the recommendation we're concerned with the development potential of the shallow lots along Colfax because this east is an east-west corridor. Um, so while there are some shallower lots included as a part of the overlay, these properties would already have a difficult time redeveloping under the current Main Street zoning. Um, so under the current zoning, they would either need to assemble properties or adaptively reuse the existing structure. It's for this reason that these properties were still included in the overlay as well as additional parcels that are off the corridor. So um, going deeper um, from the corridor. So when redevelopment does happen and additional properties are acquired, the development is in line with the vision that the neighborhood plans have. Um, so now this presentation, or this portion of the presentation will go over um, the review criteria because this rezoning is legislative, there are three review criteria that need to be met. The first is consistency with adopted plans, and there are four plans that are applicable to this rezoning. Um, it meets several of the strategies in the comprehensive plan, which are outlined in the staff report. So I'll just go over the subsequent three. The future context and blueprint Denver are mapped as downtown, urban center, general urban, urban and urban edge. This proposed rezoning will not change any of the existing contexts along the corridor. And most of the corridor is mapped as um, a center or corridor. There are small portions that are designated as low medium residential. These are primarily residential, but may also include some commercial and retail uses. And all of the properties included in this rezoning currently have a main street zoning designation, and that is not proposed to change with this overlay. Colfax is designated as a main street arterial. Um, consistent with the proposed rezoning, and several of the north-south streets are mixed-use arterials, residential arterials, and collectors and local streets. The growth area um, is mostly community centers and corridors, which is where we anticipate to see 20% of new jobs and 10 to 25% of new housing. And then a few of the portions um, are all other areas of the city, which is anticipated to see 10% of new jobs and 20% of new housing. 
And this rezoning will allow for more growth in new jobs because of the ground floor commercial use requirement. And because this rezoning is over five acres, it is subject to the equity analysis and Blueprint Denver. The corridor generally has high access to opportunity, particularly access to parks, transit centers and corridors. Um, and by this commercial use requirement um, will allow for you know, even um, more amenities to be located along the corridor. Um, the neighborhoods, and then for involuntary displacement, um, the neighborhoods west of Colorado Boulevard um, and then East Colfax are more vulnerable to involuntary displacement, um, but there is no specific development proposed with this rezoning and all new developments will be subject to the city's mandatory affordable housing requirements. And then housing diversity varies along the corridor. There's a greater housing diversity in City Park West and Congress Park and less diversity in South Park Hill and a portion of Montclair. And this rezoning will likely not directly impact housing diversity, but it will support complete neighborhoods by, by promoting space for neighborhood serving commercial uses. And then there are mostly retail jobs located along the corridor and the DO8 may have a positive impact on jobs diversity by creating new opportunities for employment um, because of the ground floor active use requirement. This rezoning also meets several strategies in Blueprint Denver. It will ensure pedestrian friendly environments, encourage mixed use developments and transit rich areas, and it is a larger scale legislative rezoning. So now moving to the neighborhood plans, um, the East Central Area Plan applies to properties west of Colorado Boulevard. It designates certain areas along Colfax for active ground floor uses and says that these areas should be near historic streetcar stops or areas near transit stations. Um, and the DO8 requires active commercial uses on the ground floor near proposed BRT stations. And then this rezoning also meets several of the strategies in the plan, including improving design quality in centers and corridors for ground floor activation, discouraging auto-oriented uses along Colfax, and helping businesses to prepare for BRT with a more pedestrian-friendly environment. And then the East Area Plan applies to properties east of Colorado Boulevard and similarly designates specific areas for ground floor active uses when adjacent to transit. Um, and it also meets many of the strategies in this plan, which similar to the East, east, east Central, um, including improving design quality by having ground floor activation, discouraging auto-oriented uses, and then um, creating a more pedestrian-friendly area. And this legislative proposal also meets the next two criteria and that it will result in the uniformity of district regulations. It will also further the public health, safety and welfare of the area by promoting a more pedestrian friendly environment and facilitating a true mix of uses along Colfax with ground floor commercial. So finding all three criteria have been met, staff recommends approval of this rezoning. And that concludes my presentation. Thank you so much, Libby. We have three individuals signed up to speak this evening. Um, if you're here in person, uh, please make your way up to the front bench. We'll start with Robin Rothman. Hi, my name's Robin Rothman and I'm here to a uh, 30 year resident of Denver, sorry. Uh, I'm speaking against the DO8 overlay this evening because sadly the proposed zoning fails and its primary mission to make the corridor a vibrant, safe and healthy place. For drive-through businesses, DO8 simply does not have restraints in place to um, prevent the kind of development that I think we all recognize as nefarious at best. 
Nationally, businesses like fast food operators, banks, and gas stations have overcome far more onerous requirements than what DOH asks for, and the result has health consequences. But first, I just want to say that it's really contradictory for the city to spend greater than $250 million to develop a new BRT system while enabling car-centric businesses. It just doesn't make sense. Currently, there are 17 fast food restaurants along the five-mile Colfax quarter of this zoning. Uh, get ready, because number 18 is coming in the form of a jack-in-the-box that will sit right across the street from an established 30-year-old Taco Bell that's grandfathered under DO8. I can see I have no time here. Um, the developers, Kentro Group, have Colfax in their DOA, but they fail to understand the impact of how the overlap of this new restaurant with a 30-year-old Taco Bell will be utterly unhealthy and will work to dismantle DOA's important goals. Um, I'll just speak a little bit to health. That research says for ninth graders, a fast food restaurant within a tenth of a mile of the schools is associated with at least a 5.2% increase in obesity rates. Note that the Taco Bell and the pending Jack in the Box are just one block from DC 21, a fabulous school. Um, there is a zoning report called the City Planner's Guide to the Obesity Epidemic, Zoning and Fast Food. Their research posit that there is a logical and compelling justification for the regulation of fast food outlets using zoning laws to protect the public health, but perhaps you're not big on nanny state kinds of zoning. And while Happy Meals have gotten healthier, we all recognize that fast food are, uh, operators market to kids in unhealthy ways. Um, currently, the Jack in the Box has a marketing partnership with Weed Maps and uses Snoop, Snoop Dogg, a teenage favorite, to drive traffic to their restaurants as the cure for post-consumption munchies. On pollution, Amber Campbell from Denver's Public Health and Environment Department tweeted recently that people should not let their cars idle for more than, more than 30 seconds. But what can Ms. Campbell do about fast food and other drive-throughs? Uh, QSR Magazine notes that fast food drive through customers are more than willing to idle, typically waiting up to 10 minutes to receive their order from start to finish. Uh, this length of idling is bad for the city and the state, but also bad for neighbors. drive throughs it turns out, actually create their own hyper-local polluted ecosystem. And let's not forget that in 2022, the EPA downgraded Denver and the Front Range to severe violators of federal air quality standards. Without firmer restrictions on fast food drive-throughs, banks, et cetera, Denver will continue to make headlines for our polluted air. Um, also, I'm sorry, I sent documents out in advance much more detailed than this, and I'm hoping you can take a chance to, to look at those. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Christopher O'Reilly. Hi, council members. Thank you very much. My name is Christopher O'Reilly. Uh, and today I'm opposing DO8 because it fails to make the Colfax corridor a safer place by allowing even more fast food restaurants. Uh, specifically, fast food restaurant drive-throughs come with their own set of dangers. Uh, pedestrian and car conflicts increase wherever driveways multiply. Drive-through lanes lull drivers into thinking they are in a car-only space. We've all been in that space, right? The Federal Highway Safety Administration notes that every driveway represents potential conflict points between motor vehicles, pedestrians, and bicyclists, the exact thing that we're trying to stop on Colfax. Distracted drivers are problematic in a drive-through setting, busy on their phones. They fail to notice that traffic patterns have changed, or they drive off with a burger in one hand, drink, and steering wheel in the other. And research cited in 2012 determined that pedestrian vehicle collisions collisions, excuse me, <laughs> are the second leading cause of accidental <coughs> death among children. 
Those aged 15 and younger represented 25% of all pedestrian vehicle collisions. I seem to want to say collusion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the unsafe news headlines around fast food restaurants include a multitude of stories throughout the country. The Fresno man in a wheelchair who was hit and killed in front of a Jack in the Box, the Florida woman killed crossing a street at a McDonald's, or the homeless man asking for help car by car shot by a Chick-fil-A customer. But just a few of those stories in other locales. Uh, incident report includes narcotics, assault, assaults, shots fired, and domestic violence, among other calls from, restaurant, from the restaurant to police. Kevin Trimble, the former US Director of Security for McDonald's, characterizes drive-throughs as favorable to those with unfavorable intentions. And anybody who lives around uh, Colfax knows that that's the fact. DO8 doesn't need to be scrapped, it just needs further consideration. What I would ask you to do is to go back to the drawing board, think about the fast food restaurants. I know originally it wasn't gonna be included. And then as negotiations went on, you know, it was back in, back on, in the mix. Uh, I would actually ask you to consider taking that out of it. And, uh, you know, because it's a good plan, we would have liked to see in DO8 through all of Colfax, mm -hmm. uh, not just in little pockets. Uh, so anyway, thanks for your consideration and thanks for listening. Thank you very much. And our last speaker joins us on Zoom, Jesse Paris. Yes, good evening, members of the council, those watching at home, those in the council chambers. My name is Jesse LaShawn Paris. I'm representing for Black Star Action Movement for Self-Defense, Positive Action Commitment for Social Change, as well as the Unity Party of Colorado, the Northeast Denver Residence Council, Frontline Black News, Shabaka's Black Experience Enhanced, the Revolutionary Agenda. And uh, I reside in District 8 at the Roach, Bedbug, and Mice Infested Fusion Studios in Chantel Lewis's District of District 8. Um, I agree with the previous speakers. Um, this is not meeting what it was intended to meet in regards to this DOA. Um, we don't need any more unintended consequences from these um, rezonings that you guys approve. I've, I've been attending city council for the past eight years. It'll be eight years next year that I've been attending city council. And I've seen so many unintended consequences come from such rezonings like this. So um, the thing about the fast food restaurants, that's a very valid point. Um, my, uh, another thing is the sidewalk. The sidewalks along Colfax are horrible. Um, if you're trying to have a bus rapid transit, you're going to have to redo all the Colfax, including the sidewalks. And, and so it's, it's not change residential or to any of the properties that have are springing up now along Colfax, um, where, where used to be old hotels and motels, now they're affordable housing. Um, such as uh, the former site of uh, Saturdays is now Mercy Housing, affordable housing, and are the Orlando apartments on East Colfax. Uh, oh, there's a lot of things wrong with this. So like the previous speaker said, I think y'all really need to go back to the drawing board with this, um, especially seeing that I don't see how this is further on public health and safety. I really don't. Um, I didn't, I didn't hear nothing about fixing up the sidewalks, fixing up the streets, 
uh, you want to put, put the bus rapid transit there, and it's just the infrastructure is just not built for that. So you will have to literally build out the whole infrastructure of Colfax, including the sidewalks, the alleys, um, all of that in order for this to even be feasible. So I'm against this uh, for the simple fact that it's just, it's just, you're just not ready. It's not ready. So go back to the drawing board, come back with something else. Thank you. Thank you very much. That concludes our speakers. Are there questions from members of council on Bill 1567? Councilwoman Parity. There. <clears throat> Thank you so much for the presentation. I have what may be a totally obvious question to the bill sponsors and others who have been up on this in these chairs for longer than I am or than I have been, but um, why not? do the design overlay for the entire corridor so that you know the when the restaurants leave another one doesn't come in i just what's the backstory of the rationale for that i've got councilwoman sawyer with her hand raised too um but she can go after you maybe libby yeah sounds good um so you know partly was the the plan um only you know it maps these active areas where future brt stops are so it didn't map it for the entire quarter that was the feedback that was received um the other piece of it is that you know, there, this is a five mile stretch. So I think our thought was, you know, when, I guess when they did a market study, there just isn't the, the density in parts of Colfax for this much commercial along the ground floor. Um, and we also don't necessarily think that an all, you know, an apartment building that's all residential would be a bad outcome along portions of Colfax that would bring more density. Um, so it was very intentional and thoughtful to be around those BRT stations or the proposed BRT stops and where we do want to see more activity. Thank you. Councilwoman Sawyer has her hand up to answer. Um, go ahead, Councilwoman. Thanks, Madam President. Um, so yeah, it's a great question. And actually it was a very big um, part of the conversation that we had with the community when we first um, reached out and I will just point out if you look in your staff report, there's a full um, set of information and slide deck on the feedback that we received from well over a thousand um, people along the corridor. There's also a heat map in there. So you can see that we got good feedback from uh, everywhere along the corridor in having this discussion with community. Um, so because the DO8 overlay design standards require that a portion of the ground floor be used for non-residential purposes. So whether that is restaurants or whether that is um, retail or whether that is, uh, you know, an exercise studio or, you know, whether it's a school or any of those different kinds of things, um, there's, there's a real kind of uh, desire to ensure that those businesses are not only there, but those businesses are successful. And in order for those businesses to be successful, they need to have the density um, to be able to draw from the outside neighborhoods um, for people to come there. Um, and so that's why, so that was reason number one was because of the density and just ensuring the success of these businesses by making sure that there wasn't too much kind of commercial space along the corridor. Um, and then the second one is because the bus rapid transit um, only has specific stops all the way along, right? It doesn't stop at every block. So we had a long discussion with community planning and development about how to ensure um, that we could do an overlay like this that would have those design standards in place to activate the spaces around the BRT stops 
but also then allow for you know additional housing in particular to be built in uh, uh, along the rest of the corridor. So if you've ever been to kind of one of those old New England cities, um, I lived in Boston, in Washington D.C. both for um, a long time. And I will say that, um, you know, as you are walking down a main corridor, you get different housing types and different structures that not only add to kind of the interest of the area, but also um, provide the housing for people, but also provide those local businesses for people to go to. So um, that was kind of a long explanation, but hopefully it's a little bit more clear. Kind of two purposes behind only mapping around the BRT nodes. The first has to do with the density and the success of the businesses, and the second has to do um, with ensuring that there's still enough locations along Colfax to build the housing that we so desperately need in our city as well. Thanks, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman Perry. Yeah, I just want to say thank you. That was really helpful. So I get I get the idea of wanting to create like clusters of commercial so that they're self-reinforcing and they help each other out, um, and then also have housing along the corridor. I think I'm still curious um, why not sort of and maybe it's because it's an overlay and so we can't accomplish this with an overlay. Um, but I'm also, I'm a little bit curious, why not um, do a portion of that work along the entire corridor? In other words, um, set design standards so that, again, if like a drive through restaurant anywhere along those blocks leaves that you can't have another one come into its place. Um, and maybe, I mean, again, I'm sure there's an answer, but. Yeah, so you mean like it would still like meet the setbacks of the DO8 or like mm -hmm. it would have to meet the other. So we currently don't have a district that would do that, I guess, that would allow for all residential but meet the other requirements under the DO8. Um, and since this was just a rezoning and not, that would be a text amendment essentially. Okay, thank you so much. Those are my questions. Thank you, Madam President. Great, thank you very much. Councilwoman Avidez, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Council President. <clears throat> I don't know how I got deleted there for a second, but um, I, my question is more around this um, written testimony that we received. Did you review that written testimony? Yeah. Can you answer about their concerns about being grandfathered in and all of that? Is this the Goddard School? Yes. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so they have, um, I think, started the process working with architects to do a redevelopment and this overlay requires a two foot setback so that would be from colfax or their property line along colfax and their plans wanted to go up to the property line which is what the current main street zone district allows and so they were concerned that this rezoning is going to impact and maybe make their development not feasible um and so they had wanted to be so because we have this grace period, they had wanted to be included in the grace period. That's what the grandfathering they were mentioning. Um, however, they have they're not they have not submitted for concept. I think they are in their very preliminary stages, um, you know, working externally, not with the city. And so the grace period was only for projects that had already submitted for concept. Okay. And is there any changing that at all? No. Okay. Um, that's my only question. Thank you. Thank you, Council President. Thank you. Com Council President Mayhem. Mm -hmm. yeah, Councilman I, Hines, yes. Thank you. Um, and Council Member Alvidres, uh, thank you. you. You talked about the, the letter. Um, the letter also talks about um, uh, limited notification. And I would say community planning and development um, certainly has some legal, legally required notification requirements. Um, in addition to that, um, 
the council sponsors at the time, which was uh, me, Councilmember Sawyer, uh, Councilmember, uh, former Councilmember Sidabaka, and uh, former Councilmember Herndon, also uh, uh, sent mailers to every address that was affected. And we actually went through um, Excel to find utility addresses, so we, we so that we wouldn't skip any addresses and. Uh, we hired a firm to fly our doors as well. So we went up above and beyond the typical uh, community planning and development required process. Um, so I recognize that the Goddard School uh, says that they did not receive notification. Um, I'm not sure how that how that happened. Uh, but uh, regarding their uh, their concerns about setbacks um, and wanting to get the grandfathered in, as uh, Ms. Glick had mentioned, um, the the idea was for um, for projects that were already underway. Uh, we certainly didn't want to uh, to make them have to start over uh, in in the process if they were already underway. But for projects that haven't started yet, and uh, based on the information that we've received from the Goddard School, it's not even a done deal that they will undergo a project because of financial constraints and. Um, and uh, and they haven't figured out exactly what they want to do architecturally. Um, uh, we don't want to provide exemptions for something that may or may not happen. There's actually another developer that wanted us to provide ex uh, exemptions, um, and uh, and we said no in that case as well. So, but um, but speaking of developers and that two foot setback, originally uh, when we started the the DOA overlay, we did want it to apply. For the entire corridor, but um, but we recognize that uh, that two foot setback, or you know, that some of the uh, restrictions in the in the overlay, uh, would make certain plots more difficult. And so we wanted to. That was part of the compromise as we moved to uh, the overlay to two blocks around each BRT stop, so that we could um, ensure that there was density to support those commercial activated areas. Uh, but um, we didn't want to go too overboard. And uh, and have Colfax remain um, undeveloped as it is today. Thank you, Council President. Thank you very much, uh, Councilwoman Lewis. Uh, thank you, President. I, I wasn't sure for the Goddard School would they be able to with the overlay um, to expand, or they won't be able to. So I, when I looked, they are um, more than two feet away from the coal, their property line on Colfax. Mm -hmm. So they can still do an addition towards Colfax. And they actually have their parking lot is behind the building. Um, so there is actually room on you know, other parts of um, the lot as well. But yeah, they do have room to go, I guess, to the south or on the north side of the street. Um, yeah, because they're not, they're not at two feet. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, seeing no one else in queue, the public hearing is closed. Comments by members of council, and we will start with the sponsors and the council members whose districts are um, impacted. We'll start online with Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President. Um, I will just say I'm, I'm very excited about this. Tonight is really the culmination of um, almost two years worth of dedicated work. Uh, and I just want to say an a special um, thank you and full, I'm full of gratitude um, for Libby in particular and the city team um, at CPD who helped us with this um, and to the numerous stakeholders who reached out um, 
who had questions or who wanted to give feedback or who wanted to participate um, or who had properties that they were concerned about. Um, I also want to acknowledge Councilmember Herndon um, in particular his, and his staff. Um, they did an extraordinary amount of work on this. Um, and so we filed it the last day, his last day in office, but unfortunately that meant that he couldn't be here tonight. Um, it's really been a collaborative effort, um, and I just want to say thank you to everybody for it. I will say um, Colfax is an iconic and historic symbol and street um, and area of Denver, and this rezoning is a, is a pivotal step towards preserving and enhancing its legacy um, as the years come. I would say, um, you know, the genesis of this really was the East Area Plan and the East Central Area Plan and the community feedback that we heard when it came to that, um, when you kind of layer that on top of the BRT project, this is really transformative. Um, and it really is one of those things that that is a lot of different city departments and a lot of different moving parts coming together as a team um, to have a vision for our community for what this looks like in the future um, and what Colfax, you know, what our residents really want to see Colfax be in the future. Um, we aspire to create spaces that aren't just diverse in, in terms of transportation, but also contribute to maintaining and enriching that vibrant Main Street ambiance that everyone talks about really wanting um, along Colfax. And these changes, um, which include the increased setbacks and the ground, ground floor activation, will really help guide Colfax into that multimodal and community-friendly um, area that we want to see um, so it, this transformation not only enhances that accessibility, but promotes healthy lifestyles um, and fosters more connected neighborhoods along the corridor. Um, the DO8 overlay is not, it can't be all things to all people. I will say that. And um, as I often, as many of you have often heard me say, um, you know, we have one kind of set of people who have concerns that it doesn't go far enough and that it should be all the way along the corridor. And then we have one kind of other set of people who have concerns that it too, goes too far um, because they want to develop something on their properties that maybe they won't be able to develop in the future if, they, if this goes through, um, which means we're probably in the right space, right? When everybody... Um, you know, when there are two clear sides and, um, but the vast majority of people have come to the middle, that means we're in the right spot. Um, so I think it's really important also to note that this overlay is not just a, a zoning change, right? This is really the, the signal, the beginning of an investment in the future of our city um, and the Colfax corridor. Um, because it really does align with Comprehensive Denver, with Blueprint, with East and East Central, and it really um, underscores our commitment to creating a vibrant and walkable neighborhood um, that is unique to the city of Denver. Um, I truly believe that this DO8 overlay will not only benefit Colfax, but also catalyze um, that ripple effect throughout Denver by creating jobs and attracting investment and enhancing self -safe, health, safety, and welfare, um, you know, with this additional pedestrian safety and economic development along what is our most famous street, right? Um, so I think the extensive community outreach and engagement process yielded overwhelming support for the DO8 overlay. Again, you can see um, in your staff report and in our application, um, you, you know, when we ask separate questions for each of the kind of different parts of the of the um, overlay, 
we had overwhelming support, over 70% support for, from respondents for every single one of um, the different bullet points that we, um, that we asked about. So it's a really powerful tool that's our at our disposal to bring this vision of Colfax for the future to life. Um, so I stand in, port in support of it. Um, I'm confident that it meets the required criteria. I urge my fellow council members to join me um, in helping to transform what we you know, know is the longest, wickedest street in America. Um, and I do wanna just acknowledge Council Pro Tem Sandoval as well as her office that created the DO DO8 overlay. Um, and it, this is the third and largest place in the city that it will be mapped. And it is really um, exciting that we now have this potential tool as a way to help achieve those goals that the community told us that they want to achieve. Um, and then finally, I would be very remiss if I did not thank um, Councilmember Hines and his staff and my amazing staff. Um, we could not have pulled this off without everyone working together really, really hard over the last couple of years. And so um, I, again, I think that this meets the criteria and I ask for your support um, uh, and, and hopefully we will um, be able to celebrate the, the passage of this later this evening. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to, um, if you don't mind, I'll go to Councilman Hines as the second applicant, Councilman Hines. Thank you, Council President. Uh, well, Councilmember Sawyer, my uh, my partner here, um, uh, took a lot of my uh, talking points. So, uh, but I do want to uh, I want to talk a little bit about where this came from. Um, I three years ago, uh, back in early 2020, uh, there was a proposed self storage facility on Pearl, just north of Colfax, and um, and I thought that's. Uh, uh, a horrible place to put a self-storage facility. And, you know, as, uh, as we uh, in Denver are a landlocked city, we, all we can do at this point is infill. And it is important for us uh, to place priority on people over stuff. Uh, so having uh, a, uh, the, the second densest neighborhood in the city, um, right um, a block north of the densest neighborhood in the city, have a proposed self-storage facility. I thought it was uh, uh, just a, a very poor idea. And then I learned in short order that um, there was a proposed single-story bank drive-through at 14th and Grant, um, which was just a couple blocks away and um, uh, also seemed very, um, uh, it was very frustrating to me because that's you know one block from the state capitol. Um, it is the densest neighborhood in the city and could uh, be an excellent location for uh, several stories, eight stories at least, of affordable housing. Um, so, uh, so I reached out to um, our former colleague, Councilmember Black, who strongly urged that we um, consider the, the this overlay. And so, um, it was uh, thanks to Councilmember Black that we uh, started the process specifically uh, using Councilmember Sandoval's um, overlay and. Um, you know, it, we, we just have to prioritize people over stuff. And um, so that's, uh, I, I, I recognize that there are people who, who think that this doesn't go far enough. If it were up to me, um, we wouldn't have a single gas station, uh, new gas station in the city of Denver. We wouldn't have any drive-throughs in the city of Denver. And, and uh, I don't know, I wouldn't mind pedestrianizing the entire neighborhood of Golden Triangle, getting rid of streets entirely. But um, just because those are my thoughts, um, that doesn't mean that uh, my own uh, thoughts on the city are the right direction for the city. So it's important for us to 
synthesize all the uh, comments and concerns and by um, by being judicious about where we in, uh, implement the DOE overlay, that allows some of those narrow lots that are already hard for developers to, uh, to come up with a plan uh, for them to continue their current struggle, um, but, but also uh, favor density uh, where we want it. And that's where the, the BRT stops are. So um, if we can set uh, Colfax up to, for success, if we can uh, set the BRT up for success, uh, we are uh, setting up um, all the, uh, the amazing people who call Colfax home and all those pedestrians who uh, uh, get along Colfax, uh, we're um, celebrating them as well as all the future BRT riders. So I believe this meets all the criteria and, and, um, and it is a, a fine compromise between the concerns we heard um, on both ends uh, who wanted more um, pedestrian amenities and, uh, and no pedestrian amenities, frankly. So uh, I hope my colleagues uh, vote yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Lewis. I don't know how I got in the queue. I put you in. <laughs> Just in case you had any commentary. If not, that's okay. <laughs> Councilman Watson. Council member, will you check your microphone, please? What I said was really funny, but it wasn't on a mic, so I apologize. <laughs> um, thank you, Council President um, uh, Torres. Uh, the the overlay um, includes uh, parts of Park Hill that's in District Nine, and uh, and I wanted to just quickly speak to um, um, the Goddard School folks. I, we, we heard you, I heard you, and I know that uh, this process has been um, a, a, a little bit difficult for you. I look forward to um, engaging with you um, at the end of this um, process to see how um, we can support whatever your final decision is. Um, we know your intentions, um, but we also know this was a very thorough community-informed process. I was familiar with the steps that this, uh, this overlay was taking even prior to becoming a council member because of uh, each of the council members that have been involved um, from council member um, Hines to councilwoman Sandoval, not Sandoval, but Sawyer first um, and councilwoman um, 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 uh, Sidabaka and council um, member Herndon. Um, there was a lot of um, opportunities for community to provide input. Uh, and I think this speaks to that community informed process. I think this overlay is necessary for the success of the bus rapid transit um, that I strongly support. I applaud uh, Councilwoman um, uh, Sawyer and Hines for taking this uh, now close to the finish line. We still have to vote, but I know there is lots of work that you both did and your staff did. And so I applaud you for this work. Um, I strongly support this as its impacts a part of my district, and I encourage our colleagues to join us in voting yes. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Madam President. Um, and thank you to the sponsors of this um, complicated zoning matter on East Colfax. When my office created this overlay for Northwest Denver along Tennyson Street, it wasn't to stop drive through. Um, restaurants, it was to enhance the walkability of that corridor. And each corridor in Denver is very unique. 
and each corridor in Denver needs its own um, gentle love, I'll say, that does not come in the Denver zoning code that I don't feel that comes in the Denver zoning code. And when um, I was leading this effort on Tennyson, I will say I was not as kind as my colleagues. I stopped eight developments in the process because that's what my community wanted. I stopped eight developments from moving forward that would only have brought 100% residential. And that is in contrary, in an affordable housing crisis, I stopped residential housing from coming in the north side because my community wanted um, mixed use. And so I do know that each corridor in Denver has its own nuanced approach. And I actually have been thinking about maybe doing the same type of work along federal, along these bigger corridors that have CDOT, because this is not just a Denver corridor. This also has a um, Colorado Department of Transportation has oversight over Colfax, same as Sheridan and same as federal. So as, though, as much as we want solutions that stop drive-throughs, I get that. I'm not a fan of the drive-through form. Um, I'm not a fan of a lot of forms in our Denver zoning code, which CPD knows. I'm not a fan of the general building form. I could go down a whole rabbit hole tonight with all of you, but I won't. Um, but this is our approach to take a zoning code and make it unique to each neighborhood. And so I really do believe that the council members who have been working on this took what I developed in Northwest Denver for a street that is not like Colfax. Tennyson is very different from 38th to 46th and used the tool in the toolbox that they had to get the outcomes that are needed, needed to get better mixed use um, because what does MS stand for? Main Street. What does MX stand for? Mixed use. And so I really hope that we took look at those intents of those intent statements in our Denver zoning code and apply them. And I believe that that's what my council members here have done. And so I urge all of us to support this tonight. It is no easy feat to lead a rezoning effort of this magnitude. It's no easy feat to take complicated zoning code language and apply it to people who don't quite speak zoning code language and um, make it simplified so people who have confidence in their elected officials, which we are here, land use commissioners tonight, um, and be able to do that work on behalf of the residents of Denver. So once again, I just urge my colleagues to support this. I know how challenging it is. I think I've rezoned um, almost all of Northwest Denver for ADUs. I've rezoned for this, DOE 8, and I've created three different um, conservation overlays, so I get it. So I just urge all of you to support you support that, and thank you all, my colleagues, for taking my tool, applying it in a different nuanced way so that we could see what this outcome looks like, so we maybe we could apply these along Sheridan, along Federal, um, along Evans corridors that we have this conflict with 100% residential and um, mixed use. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call please on Council Bill 1567. Sawyer? Aye. Alvidrez? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. 
Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Sorry, was reading something. Uh, Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes, Council Bill 23-1567 has passed. Thank you very much, everyone. On Monday, January 8th, 2024, Council will hold a required public hearing on Bill 1714, changing the zoning classification for 1645 North Grape Street in South Park Hill, and a required public hearing on Council Bill 1836, changing the zoning classification for 434 South High Street in Wash Park. Any protests against Council Bills 1714 or 1836 must be filed with the Council Office no later than Tuesday, January 2nd. There being no further business before this body, this meeting is adjourned.